If you want to be a premier cop, then you need to learn from the premier police training company in the land. Of course, I'm talking about Street Cop Training. They've got dozens of instructors out in the field right now, sharing their expertise in narcotics, interdiction, report writing, first aid, mental health, case law, and just quality police work. And those aren't even all the topics. There's literally something for everybody. I've attended several classes myself, and I can tell you that these folks cannot miss. Dennis Benino, the owner, is doing massive things for the world of law enforcement at a time when everyone else seems to be running away from it. Street Cop Training is literally the best in the business. Check out their private Instagram and join their law enforcement-only Facebook group to get free trainings, and then check out upcoming in-person and on-demand trainings at streetcop.com. You will not be disappointed. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. They do not necessarily reflect an official policy or position. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. This week on the 108 Podcast, Street Academy with Jeff Smith. I hate it when a cop calls another cop to do a cop's work. Comfort breeds complacency, breeds a razor-edged knife that is extremely dangerous for cops. My class is about executing that operation safe and sound and morally correct. You should be handling that, not not dumping it off on a guy or a gal that's already got their own workload. I mean, your badge isn't broken. The badge says police. Act like one. I'll be fucked up if you can't be right. Yeah, I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I changed. Even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't find nobody else as good as you. I need you to stay. Need you to stay. I do the same thing. I told you that I never would. I told you I changed. Even when I knew I never could. Know that I can't find nobody else as good as you. I need you to stay. Hello, no one is available to take your call at this time. Please leave a message after the tone. Dad joke time. What do you call a hill that's funny? Hilarious. New Teslas don't come with that new car smell. They come with an Elon Musk. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. What is going on? And welcome to the episode. My name is 108. This is the 108 Podcast. Thank you guys so much for joining me this week. As always, what a great week we had. Uh, last week was Mike Chitwood, and you guys seemed to eat that episode up. It was longer than usual, but I, I do appreciate your patience. This week, a uh, little, little on the longer side, we've got an interview with Jeff Smith from Street Cop Training. We've talked about so many different things regarding law enforcement, leadership, narcotics, uh, proactive work, what makes you a good police officer, what makes you an efficient police officer, uh, lots of good stuff coming up, so just keep keep uh, staying tuned for that. And then after that, we talk Christmas movies. This week, we have Dr. Delery talking about the movie Elf, and we have my buddy Red Gun Squad talking about Home Alone. But before we get into any of that, I just want to first thank uh, my buddy Autumn for calling in the dad jokes this week to get us started. Always good if you guys want to call into the show. You can leave dad jokes. You can leave me questions. You can leave me comments. I always try to post who's going to be on the show a couple weeks in advance. So if you have a show or a guest you want to ask a specific question, 
call in and say, hey, this is for such and such, and I'll either play that part or whatever. But, yeah, just call whatever you guys want. Just call it in. Let's, uh, let's play this uh, kind of jingle thing I made. The 10A Podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Just kidding. But the 10A Podcast is made possible because of people like you taking about an hour of your week out and listening to me. And I love nothing more than hearing from you. So what I want you to do is call, because this is an audio podcast and text messages just don't work the same. Call the 10A Podcast and I will play your voice clip on my show. You can literally call about anything. It could be a question. It could be a complaint. It could be a grievance. It could be a gripe. It could be a bitch. It could be a moan. Don't be a moan. That would that would be weird. Um, but yes, I want you to call and I want to share it to the masses. So please give me a call. 352-610-1692. Again, that's 352 352- 610-1692. Save that in your phone. It does not go to my phone. It goes to a voicemail, and I will play your voice on my show. All right, let's get back into it. So I had a great weekend, guys. Um, I spent the weekend with my family in uh, in the east coast of Florida, and uh, we, we had a cookie party. On Saturday, we always, it's been a tradition for several years. My sister started it with her friend and uh, it's just kind of taken off. I'm not a baker, but I, I think I did pretty good. I made some Italian anisette cookies and I made some no bakes. My girlfriend had to work, so unfortunately she couldn't do it. She is far more proficient baking than I am, so she couldn't do that. So I had to fill in and I think I did okay. I think I did okay. Um, but one thing that kind of, so what I, what I did, I've been, toying with this whole thing for a while um i came out with uh code for check and i'm going to talk about that real quick code for check is 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 not a new term or phrase in the 108 community uh, day one of the 108 podcast i talked about it uh the first couple months of the 108 meme page i talked i would do code for check making sure everybody was okay code for where i work means okay are you okay? You know, um, so dispatch, they would reach you or reach you or raise you or mark you, whatever, and say, Hey unit, are you code four check? And they would say, I'm code four, 10, four. That just means I'm okay. So, you know, I see police posts that the page police post, they always post that you're good or you good question mark. And I like that. I do. Um, I want my own because I've been very vocal about how different things have affected me especially over the past few months. And I'm always big on the mental health. You know, I've realized what happens when you don't talk about issues. Uh, I am a prime example of negative coping mechanisms. I've been open about that in the past in different episodes. Last year, we had ongoing episodes of Project 109. This year, we're going to get back with them. Uh, I, I've just been so busy and there's just so many people to bring. And, you know, it's it's hard to, to make one person schedule a match and then make multiple, it's tough. Stephanie and Jordan are still huge friends of the show. We just haven't linked up this year yet. But anyway, last year I had multiple different topics where we talk about a lot of things, just mental health, generally speaking. We talk about relationships, uh, line of duty deaths. There's a lot of them. And uh, go back and listen to those. They're very important. But anyway, this year, or this weekend, this past weekend, I announced Code 4 Check, the movement, the 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 um, the mission statement, right? I want to make mental health uh, public. You know, I want to remove the stigma for our profession and talking about your mental health. And I want to do something about it. I want to provide awareness, resources, and support uh, 
Um, and I asked Nick Wilson and I, and I asked Jenna Romano, those two have really helped me put this together and it's still together. It's not done yet, but, uh, what, you know, should I start a new page? Should I start a new podcast? And they made a good point and they said, no, keep everything where it is. And I agree. And so you're going to hear a lot more and you see a lot more posts on Instagram about mental health. Um, because I have such a wonderful audience now that first off, I think you guys trust the content I bring you, you, I think you guys understand my sincerity with it and my, uh, my being genuine about it. And also, you know, if I started a brand new page, it's not going to have 30,000 followers. So that's, so you're going to see it on this page. That's basically what I'm getting at. You're going to hear it on the podcast, which I've been especially more recently talking about mental health a whole lot more. Uh, so starting the week of the new year, new year's Eve, the December side of it, uh, we're going to have Ben from the Hey My Man podcast. And then the next week, we're going to have Dr. Delery talking about stress. Then the following week, we are going to have this this person, Amy, come on, and we're going to talk about meditation, guided meditations. And then following that, we're going to have Erica from TAC, Mobi- no, TAC Mobility, excuse me, and we're going to talk about how stress messes with your body and what you can do to reverse it. So it's great. It's great. And we're going to keep building on this. We're going to, I'm going to try to keep getting more people to talk about stress and just mental health and and the way your brain works and what you need to hear. So all that being said, a couple of the key speakers that I listen to, to kind of get me going and motivate me and inspire me. Um, I've talked about them in the past. We got Sean Whalen, Ryan Mickler, Ryan Holiday, Chris Williamson is the new one I listen to, and Simon Sinek. That's like a big five. If I had to lift a, list a top five, those are the guys. You know, I listen to a bunch of podcasts, but those are the guys that I really listen to a lot. And I was, I was walking my dog, and I heard, I was watching slash listening to a Simon Sinek video, and a couple of the things they said, he said, were spot on to what is going on right now. You know, I... And I, I've said this to people in my life, my girlfriend, family, that I didn't know where 10-8 was going to take me, where it's going to take me, but I'm just riding the wave, you know? And now this new kind of offset into mental health, I was never expecting it. Uh, I've always thought that mental health was a little too hot of a topic for me to touch, you know? And a lot of people have said, no, that's exactly why you need to touch it. It's real. You're not just some suit, some academic saying mental health things. You're, you're a real person dealing with your own mental health, sharing your experiences and making others feel not alone. So that's what we're doing. Um, but the Simon Sinek lines that I want to show you, I'm going to play in just a second. But that's kind of where we're at right now in the world of 10-8. So uh, Jeff and I kind of talk a little bit about mental health, but not so much this episode. So um, that being said, let me play Simon Sinek, and we're going to get into Jeff right after that. So here we go. Here's, uh, here's some words of wisdom from Simon Sinek. True vision inside a company is something that has nothing to do with your product. It is an ideal to which you will attempt to build and advance that ideal through your company with your product. You'll never achieve the ideal, but you'll die trying. And this is what gives our work meaning. Mm. This is what gives our lives purpose, Mm. right? The difference between vision and a goal is the finish line. A goal is 26.2 miles. You can simply count the metrics and know when you've completed your goal. A vision is having a crystal clear sense of what the finish line looks like, but no idea of how far away it is. And 
it's, and the reality is you will spend your entire life never actually crossing the finish line, but the joy that every marathon you complete, you feel like you're getting closer. Every milestone that you accomplish makes you feel like you're getting closer and closer to the ideal, and this is what gives our life and our work meaning. So if you take what he's talking about as far as business is concerned and you apply it to life, and here we are. And that's kind of how I'm taking 10-8 right now, you know? So hopefully you guys see that, you see my vision, and you enjoy that I keep moving the goalposts. It's kind of where I'm at right now, guys. All right, speaking of giving my life meaning, let's go on to the interview. My interview today is with Jeff Smith from Street Cop Training. It was an amazing conversation. He teaches two courses for the company. Check it out. You're going to love it. And uh, here we go. Back and joining me from the great state of Maryland is uh, is Jeff Smith, sir. How are you doing today? I'm good, brother. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I, I will, you know what? Wonderful, yes. But I worked night shift last night and I didn't get enough sleep. Just I'm I just transitioned to night shift or yeah, two night shift from days. So I'm still getting my sleep at you know up to yeah, par. When so when you're on night shift, there are varying degrees of wonderful. It's all relative based on your sleep patterns. Exactly, exactly. And and I feel like it's that transition period if you go from days to nights that mm-hmm. like you know, you don't know what day it is, you don't know what time it is, you just kind of exist until you yeah. <laughs> it's like an existential crisis. That's right. It ke- it keeps you barely less than sentient and just shy of human. <laughs> yes, that is that is such a a great description of night shift and and the mindset going into it. I mean, I've were you, when you worked, you were you um more days, more nights? Uh, kind of both. Um, I spent uh, tw- two decades of my 29 and a half years in working in narcotics and okay. in our criminal investigation division. And for over half of that, I was I was the sergeant. So I got to set the schedule. But for probably 90% of my career, I worked some form of afternoon, evening or overnight shift. So mostly nights. Okay. Yeah. I've always been partial to uh, nights, even my civilian jobs, I've always just enjoyed night shifts. I just, I'm more apt as a person, as a human, just to waking up later than to waking up earlier. So night shifts or afternoon shifts has always done it for me. When I worked dope for a year and a half, we had a uh, noon to midnight schedule for most of it. That was probably my favorite. Cause then I got to sleep in a little bit, right. but I wasn't up, you know, at till 4am in the morning and felt like a zombie. So that, that was my favorite schedule, too, except for the days when you come in at 4 a.m. to stick a tracker on a car, and then you've got court at 9, and you got to be back at the uh-huh. office at 12. and Sure. Then you just or, end up going um, around the clock. Yeah, or we would come in for uh, 
like uh, trash pulls at like right. 3 a.m. And, it, you know, middle of the winter or something nice and cold. And like, I, I'd much rather be in my bed right now than going through people's <laughs> disgusting garbage. And no. then I, at the same time, I was a crime scene tech. So I would always have that possibility of getting called out to deal with a crime scene. And that was, that was the worst. That was when I was really feeling it. Like I would come home at midnight after being on surveillance all day. And then at 3 a.m. get called in because someone, you know, killed themselves or OD'd or something. It's like, oh, my God. I It's funny because for all those years, I didn't realize how much stress that that puts on you until I mm-hmm. didn't do it anymore. And when I left narcotics and went back to patrol for the last 18 months of my career and I only had to carry one cell phone, I mm-hmm. realized how much of my life was consumed, devoured, just just completely eaten up by that on-call schedule yeah absolutely we um so my my dope unit wasn't like a traditional dope unit we did a lot of um we did some like street level stuff then we did some long-term investigations at the same time but then at the same time we were also my, my department didn't really have a community affairs or community relations division, but we did some of that too, which is really confusing. Cause like, how are the undercover dope guys also going to community meetings, but whatever. So yeah, so we were around the clock and it was really uh, difficult. So we're, you know, we would have I'm trying to not give away everything here. Cause I don't want my sergeant, my ex sergeant to listen to this and be <laughs> like, Oh really? This is how you felt. But it was just frustrating, you know, cause every, we had, we had about a six, to eight person team at a given time and everyone had their own cases and you had your own case. And, you know, sometimes everybody's resources were on the big case we were working, but you still had your caseload to work. And yeah, it, it honestly, it got to be too much for me. And that's why I went back to patrol. It was just like the time management. And honestly, I didn't think there was enough um, for me to, to handle it. And like you said, when you go back to patrol and you're no longer, at the, you know, at the will of your supervisor and like, Hey, we're coming in for a buy right now. It's like, dude, I'm, I'm across the state. He's like, tough shit. Let's go. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> that was... you know, it's, it put, it takes a lot out of you. I know on your show, you talk about police stress a lot and, you know, with, with the, with a exception of not often myself and not being addicted to drugs or alcohol that whole time I was the poster child for police stress. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, not sleeping, waking, you know, bad moods, acting, all, all that stuff. But I loved that job. So yeah. it was like this love hate relationship. I love that dope game. Sure. And I would not, I would never want to be anywhere else. And I would have stayed there until I retired if they would have, would have allowed it. Right. I, I enjoyed the work. I thought it was a lot of fun. It was so interesting. Um, by being in that unit, we worked with different agencies. We worked mm-hmm. with, we, we did a couple federal cases. It was, it was great. I had so much fun. Um, but you know, the stress and the time management and I was kind of in a transition myself. That was like right when I was making the decision, if I wanted to move or leave the agency or not, which I ultimately did. Um, it, in a different universe, would I have stayed? Possibly. There were a lot of good things that I did enjoy about it. Um, the experience by itself. I mean, for a year and a half, I gained so much experience. I was oh, yeah. exposed to so much. You know, uh, there were many times where I felt like I was living an episode of The Wire. It was it was great. Oh, yeah. um, Greatest show of all time. Right, 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 right. In your backyard too, right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> so, and that was great. Like. When my buddy told me, well, I knew what the wire was, but I never watched it. When my buddy told me about it and I watched it, it's like, holy shit. We, it, as far as cop shows go, that was like pretty to the letter, pretty accurate for a lot of things. Um, 
but it just got to be too much. Um, so I did what I always do. I kind of jumped ahead of things. Let's go ahead and have you introduce yourself, Jeff, and then um, we'll kind of circle back to the things we just kind of touched on a little bit. So, uh, well, you hit my name, Jeff Smith. Everybody calls me Jeff or Smitty. Um, okay. I've been working at Street Cop now since January of 2020. I hooked up with Dennis right around the time I retired from my law enforcement job. And I was kind of doing my own thing with my own training company. And I just messaged, I emailed actually Melissa, his cousin, who was one of the executives at Street Cop and never really heard back. And I still give her crap to that about to this day. <laughs> and I ended up having, I happened to message Dennis on Facebook one night and he was driving back from Connecticut, I think. And I called him and we started talking. And before you knew it, I was up in the office and we were putting a program together. I did my first free class, my trial run, my tryout class, for lack of a better term, with Street Cop on February 28th of 20. And like two days later, the lockdown started hitting. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I recorded some on-demands and I actually got out on the road and started teaching pretty frequently in October of 2020. I've been doing it ever since. And now I'm lucky. Uh, I actually have a pretty cool job with Street Cop, too. I kind of help recruit and onboard new instructors, too. Okay, that's very cool. Yeah. And um, that's a really cool job. Yeah, that is kind of vet the, uh, the different people that come through mm -hmm. and the different things they bring to the table. That's awesome. And then you said you worked 29 years policing, doing the road narcotics. Yep. I started in 91. I worked 29 and a half years, uh, 18 years assigned full time to the narcotics unit. Another about 19 months on temporary additional duties to the narcotics unit or the special enforcement unit or whatever it was called at the time. And the rest of the time I, I worked in patrol. So, okay. you know, I was on the SWAT team for a little while. I was a crisis for 11 years and I was a crisis negotiator for a dozen years. I taught defensive tactics for 22 years and uh, just had a great time. I was very fortunate in my career. I got to do some cool stuff. Absolutely. That's all, you know, so you did, you did patrol and then you did the narcotics and, and the, uh, the, tra the SWAT and training. Mm -hmm. Um never ventured into any other realm of policing. Those are just kind of where you stuck. So our criminal investigation division, we had major crimes, which are the suit and tie cops. Uh, we had Intel, we had in our building, we had HSI. Uh, we had a narcotics unit and we had a forensics unit and a special enforcement unit, which is like a plainclothes street crimes team. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a bunch of us were also cross designated in our County drug task force and our County task force and our city narcotics group. And our city special enforcement group, we didn't just do drug stuff. We did mm. any kind of complicated investigation that required surveillance and specialty expertise that we possessed. We got to do. So that was also kind of cool. Plus, gotcha. in our region, we had gang and um, fugitive units that we got to work with on occasion. Plus, you know, being part of task forces, you end up all over your region and not just in your jurisdiction. So that was that was a lot of fun, too. We had a great... Uh, uh, agent in charge in our DEA office in our area. So it was a lot of fun. I miss, nice. I miss being a detect. I don't miss being a cop. I miss being a detective. Sure. 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 Did yeah. now. So when you did your, your detective things, you, you weren't the one, you weren't the jump out boys. You weren't out there doing street level dope. You were kind of doing oh, yeah. more. Oh, you were doing we did, that. We did all of that. Yeah. We okay. did robbery suppression details. We did cold, cold, uh, low level street level buy bust operations. we, we worked and helped out on T3 cases and we, we did a little bit of everything. Okay. That's cool. That so okay. It does kind of sound a bit like what I was doing. Cause we did a little, we did the buy bus, we did the buy walks for the extended investigations mm -hmm. and then so on and so forth. We did, you know, surveillance. We did, um, did you ever sit a wire or. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. We did that. We never got to that. Or maybe they did now. I don't know. It's, it's been uh, it's been quite some time since I've been on the unit. But uh, that's great, man. So what, what could now... You're kind of unique because you're one of the few street cop instructors that teach multiple courses, right? Yeah, I teach two. I, okay, I was I was thinking about putting up a third one, but that's kind of on hold right now until uh, I get both of my classes that I have going now up in full steam ahead. Then maybe I'll think gotcha. about a third one. Nice. Okay, so what what are the classes that you teach for street cop? So I teach street academy, which is survival tactics for police officers, which is which is not a like a physical survival class i mean i taught physical defensive tactics for a long time but my street academy class is essentially about using your brain to avoid physical confrontations and understanding the science of what we do and what happens to us under stress and how our bodies react to extreme stress and how to understand that and develop preemptive tactics to prevent us from getting into physical confrontations okay and the other course you teach it's called Bind Dope Tactics for Undercover Operations, and it's essentially a uh, it's a class about doing tactically sound undercover operations. Uh, it's okay. not about being an undercover detective. We've got uh, Rios does that does a great class on that. Uh, it's not about informants. We've got Shane Morgan that does that does that. My class is about executing that operation safe and sound and morally correct because. You know, they say wisdom is something you gain right after you screw something up. Well, I, I got a lot of little wise tips in my buying dope class. <laughs> nice, nice. And I think um, buying dope or any kind of undercover operation where you're the bad guy mm-hmm. is so that's that's where we gray the, the line. Right. Because that's that's kind of like the fringe work. You know, so when, when you're saying like morally sound, that's that's big, you know, because. Yeah. Um, I always think of the Paul Harvey thing where he's talking about like, you need to know where the sin is, but not partake. Well, now we're partaking sort of. And even when I was, I was a John in one of our undercover prostitution operations and it was such, I was so out of my comfort zone and just that enough. I never wanted to buy, I never wanted to be the UC for buying dope or anything, but being part of the takedown or the rescue team for one of those operations, I mean, talk about having your heart in the back of your throat. Like those are, those are probably the most highest stress level situations that I've ever been a part of. And I've been, you know, I've been part of like search warrants and things like that. I can can tell you that it's having, I didn't do a whole lot of undercover. I was never really a great undercover detective. We had some guys that I worked with that were phenomenal, Mm -hmm. but I can tell you being the supervisor that sends those undercovers into harm's way for me was exponentially more stressful than ever going out and buying, actually doing the buy, doing the undercover work. Sure. I could imagine. And thinking about my Sergeant when we did it and how I always said, man, why is he so uptight? Well, cause mm-hmm. his stress level is probably at 93. Like he is probably mm-hmm. like out of the roof of stress. So that makes total <laughs> sense. Um, we had a few, we had, we sent a, um, a CI in to do a buy once from one of our big targets and we had a bug on her and or him and um the the target had a flare gun and he shot it off in the air but on the on the bug it sounded like a gun and we're like did rci just get like what just happened and then it was just silent and all of us were like i was i was riding doubles with my buddy and we're looking at each other like what just happened and then Mm -hmm. the ci started talking again but that moment alone like we all just shit our pants like that was was terrifying 
That's how um, I, that's how I start my buy and dope class. The very first thing I do is I talk about an operation where as a, as a leader and a supervisor and a detective and a cop, I got really, really lax and I allowed some stuff to go down. I allowed us to cut some corners <laughs> and one, a guy who was just actually stood with me in my wedding, I damn near got him killed hmm. by cutting corners and doing things the short and easy, fast way. And, you know, he didn't get his injured, injured as much as some guys doing this job, but more than most. And, you know, when he checked him into the to the ER, uh, you know, they're talking between 30 to 50% chance of survival. I'd say mm-hmm. that's pretty, that was pretty bad to me. So, sure. you know, that, that I thought about from that day forward, that was 2011. Every operation I planned from there on out, maybe have been a little over meticulous because of what I experienced and felt there. I mean, sending an undercover detective out to do a hand-to-hand buy, an undercover buy, when you're in charge of it and it falls on you is stressful enough. But after you get someone hurt and you realize that that was 100% my fault, that that one was on me, I own that thing. Uh, afterwards, you're really, really on edge when you have guys going into harm's way to do that kind of stuff. We had some good, I mean, we had some good detectives. We had a couple undercover detectives that had done over 500 buys. I mean, oh, wow. so they, they weren't rookies at doing this thing. And you know, I always, there's a couple of those guys that could buy dead ma- dope off a dead man in a coffin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were that good. And, uh, you know, I had the pleasure of working from, I t- learned a ton, probably 70% of what I teach in this class is stuff I learned off of those guys that, you know, they weren't the sergeants in the unit. They were just line detectives, but they were, they were the best cops in the unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's, you know, they always say there, there's a saying that I can't, that's escaping me right now, but something about, you know, bad times, you know, breed innovation or something to that extent. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you just said. You know, you, you had this terrible thing happen and it was cops get complacent, right? Cops get oh, lazy. Yeah. And oh, that's yeah. something that we are notorious with. And I remember being in the Academy and saying, Oh, cops are lazy. Cops, cops cut corners. And I, in the Academy, I was like, no, that doesn't happen until I was on the road for like two months. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Look at me cutting corners and everything. But something like that. And even, even something as dangerous as serving a search warrant or buying dope undercover, like you, you do them frequently enough that it yeah. starts to become commonplace. And that, that, you know, the hair standing up on the back of your neck kind of calms down a lot more frequently. Um, and then- I always, I always say that when, when, it, when it comes to buying dope, when a detective says I'm comfortable doing this, that's a huge red flag because that's how, that's how I got my buddy, Jeff. That's how I got him injured the way that mm-hmm. he got injured because I was comfortable doing certain things because I was confident in our ability. And there's a, a quote that I love. Actually, my Buying dope on demand actually starts with this quote. Let me make sure I try and get this right. The minute that you think of yourself as great, your slide to mediocrity has already begun. And that's from mm-hmm. a guy, an author named Jim Collins from a book called Good to Great. And I think that's so true. And that's exactly what happened to me that night. I thought, I, you know, my my hubris, you know, in me and my guys, we were good at what we did. I mean, we really were. We did those with great frequency. And right. we got comfortable, comfort, comfort breeds complacency complacency breeds a razor edge knife that is extremely dangerous for cops yeah absolutely and i mean and that goes for absolutely every facet of the job it goes to buying dope it goes to your report writing i mean the reason cops get in trouble um aside from their own you know moral ineptitude that they were going to screw up and, and be dirty anyway but the reason cops get in trouble is because they get lazy and they start cutting corners and um, 
you know, things start sliding and, and things start getting a little too gray. Um, I won't go too much into the buying dope. Um, obviously, that's kind of very, we don't want the public to hear everything. Obviously, they sure. want to go. But the last thing I want to ask you about it is what kind of advice would you give free advice, obviously, would you give to a narcotics detective or just anybody looking to buy or work undercover? What would be like one piece of advice you'd give them to like stick in their brain before taking your class? I would say uh, 99.9% of being a good detective in any kind of investigative bureau or division or group, whether it's street crimes or doing undercover dope work, is being a good cop. And being a good cop is attention to detail and taking the job seriously because you can't take a job serious enough when the job can actually kill you. And all the rest, we can teach you. Uh, and there are some guys that are just born with it. Like I said, there are guys that are born with it. that could, like I said, buy dope off a dead man in a coffin. Mm-hmm. And there are some guys that can never go out and buy a $5 bag of marijuana, no matter how hard, how hard they try, because it's person, a lot of it's personality based. Sure. I mean, that really is, but all the technical stuff we can teach you just be a good cop with a good work ethic, with good moral, technical and tactical sense and everything else you can be brought up to speed. And I'm a big believer that, when you come into a specialty unit, like a drug unit, there should be a core training program that you go through before you even start doing undercover buys. And we tried to do that. We, we were we were relegated to doing that in-house. Mm-hmm. But we tried to make sure that everybody that came in got some surveillance training. Everybody got some undercover training. Everybody got sure. some rescue truck training. Everybody got some building entry training. Everybody got this tactical training or defensive tactics and handcuffing and all the stuff that we do on a regular basis as a group because – I was very big on our team being completely self-sufficient. Uh, not a, there was a sergeant that I used to work with that always said, I hate it when a cop calls another cop to do a cop's work. And I always believed that for my team, my unit, whatever group I was in, we should be self-sufficient. And when we show up on scene, we should be able to handle it from start to finish. And we shouldn't be dumping jobs off on guys in uniforms that already have a huge workload as it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, sh- we should just need them there. Uh, when we're in playing clothes, so people know that we're cops. That's really the only reason we should need them, unless we need a marked car to do a specific type of stop for us. Everything else should be done. When we, I didn't like us handing off suspects to uniform guys to book them and do their booking slips and transport them. You know, I, if we could transport them ourselves, we transported them ourselves. Or we called the jail wagon to come pick them up. Yeah, you know. So coming into a specialty unit like that, ninety nine percent of it is just being a good cop up front. And I think. Yeah, that's great advice because I think so many times people get in specialty units and they forget how to do the basics or yeah. or they they elect to forget to do the basics. Like you said, you know, you start handing handing off jobs or, or whatever tasks to patrol guys. And I, I agree. I've always had the same mentality of I catch it, I clean it. And that goes right. with the entire investigation. You know, I if this is my suspect, if this is my arrest. I mean, we didn't, we didn't transport our own. That was just the way our agency did business. We always gave it to, we had a transport unit that would take to the jail, but Mm -hmm. up to that point, everything else was all me. Um, Of course, there's sometimes there's operations where yes, you are the uniform guy and that is your duty. You are going to transport and write that's, but that's, that's, that was how the operation was written up. And I accept that, but I would never say, Hey road guy, I stumbled across this. Can you, can you take this for me? No, like this is all mine. Even as a sergeant, even as a sergeant, I try not to do that. If I stumbled into a disorder, a fight 
with a couple of disorders that disorderlies that need to be locked up. I locked their asses up. Uh-huh. And took you the didn't call your road, your, your guys and be like, Hey, can someone take care of this for me, please? No. And I got so much grief from that for my bosses because they, they're always like, you shouldn't be out there doing police work. You should be supervising. Uh, and, and part of supervising is leading. And sometimes you got to lead from the front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I hated passing stuff. Sometimes if it was extremely complicated, it was going to be a, a, what I call a shifter. In other words, it was going to take you the whole shift yeah. to handle the case. Then I don't really have, you don't really have a choice, but sure. if it's something simple that you can bang out in under three hours, you should be handling that and not, not dumping it off on a guy or a gal that's already got their own workload to handle. Right. I agree completely. I mean, your badge isn't broken. The, the that's stripes, right. the stripes that's aren't right. strangling your police ability. Um, that's right. The badge says police. Act yeah. Like one. For sure. My one of my biggest frustrations uh with with these micromanaging sergeants that come out here are um something totally minuscule, like a parking complaint and saying, Hey, can someone come over here and take care of it? It's right in front of you, Sarge. Just go ahead and, and address it. Why do I have to and I'm already busy doing something else? It reminds me of the scene in uh Pirates of the Caribbean, like I'm a little busy at the moment, you know? It's right. like Right. I'm putting out a couple fires over here. Can you write a parking ticket? Like, right. I don't, I don't understand. Um, and, and little things like that. And I've seen uh, in my career, I've, I've had that shit like that dumped on me many, many times where it's something that could have totally waited. You know, like you said, a guy with his left wheels to the curb. I mean, the world is not going to fall down around us if we don't mm-hmm. write that guy a parking ticket and probably, it's completely unnecessary in the first place. Sure. And, you know, whereas, hey, well, a little education, like, hey, dude, here's why you don't park left wheels to curb. Uh, right. And then just move them along. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Right. Or, or you know, uh, one of the things I, I was, I was always assigned to the bar district. That was when I was on patrol, I always was in the bar district. So I dealt with all the drunks, all the fights, all the things that go along with that. So, you know, uh, traffic control was also an issue and everything. And on like a weekend night when the bars were packed, for you to get multiple units down there to do it. And you just hear it on the radio. People just don't shut up saying, mm-hmm. Hey, I need a unit to come do this. I need a unit to come address right. this. That's right in front of me. Like, no, you can definitely do that. And that goes down to what you're saying, you know, leading from the front and dude, our whole it, city is a bar district. Yeah. <laughs> so, so was mine. Um, it's really nice to be in an area. Now I'm in the suburbs. So there are no bars, you know, you get like the one sports pub that, you know, has fights on Sundays because of football. But other than that, I'm good with it. No, uh, no massive strips of bars. I'm, I'm... We had the second largest nightclub on the East Coast. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, held, held like I think it was six thousand plus people. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> on, I... on, Memor- on Memorial Day weekend, they would open up at eleven a.m. and the line would literally be a linear mile plus to get jeez. into the place at forty bucks a head. We would deal with uh, spring breakers, obviously Florida and mm-hmm. beach towns. You know, that's the big thing. So basically, yep. from March to little after Labor Day, just nonstop. The strip is just yep. booming with vacationers and spring breakers. And, you know, the worst part is the college kids that think they're tough and they haven't been broken in yet. And then they, you know, That's God right. forbid there's an MMA fight on that night. Then it's really mm-hmm. just, it's just complete bedlam in Brooklyn. You yeah, know, it's yeah. just crazy. Um, you, can, you, you can definitely tell the people in this world that have never been punched in the face. That's oh, for yeah. sure. They're, they're usually <laughs> the ones that bark the loudest. Yep. Yeah, and and always the loser's the one that calls the police too. So mm-hmm. it's always the guy that's all bloodied up that wants that needs mm-hmm. the help. Um, yes, that's that's for for damn sure. Um, that's, that's what my whole street academy class is about: is using your brain so you don't have to resort to your fist. 
what an amazing transition. Thank you, sir, for that. Um, you like so, you like how I rocked that one out? That, that was very good. That was, that was expert level right there. I got to work on that one. Um, so, yes, let's talk about that because I feel like in this job, especially now, and I've talked about this to a couple of different guests I've had on, that people can't talk to people. And that gets oh us into gosh. a lot of problems. And a lot, of, like you said, a lot of problems can be solved with our brain. And and um, I had an FTO, several FTOs say that our the biggest tool we have, the best tool that we have is our mouth and our brain. And, you know, everyone, you know, if you have a trainee in your car and you say, hey, what's the most important tool you have on you right now? They're going to say their gun. They're going to say their handcuffs, their taser. But no, it's it's what you're born with. It's your brain mm-hmm. and your mouth. So let's let's get into it. What what issues do you see with cops? I mean, let's start from there. So, you know, there, there are, you know, literally thousands of great tactics instructors out there. There's a lot of good people out there teaching a lot of good stuff. Um, physical tactics, when it comes to self-defense and defensive tactics or control, control and arrest tactics, whatever the buzzword is for those these days, have evolved so much mm-hmm. since I came into police work. Uh, you know, now we're, everybody's on the, the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the, that kind of bandwagon, which is, that's great stuff. And it's doing wonders for what we do, in my opinion. Um, but when I was young, one of my old partners used to say this all the time. He used to say, I like to fight. And mm-hmm. he meant it because he did mm-hmm. like to fight. And when I was young, I liked to fight too. But now that I'm 52, mm-hmm. when I wake up in the morning, I think, what a complete dumbass I was because it takes me a couple minutes to even be able to stand up straight because when I was young, I liked to fight. You know, I was in the mm-hmm. martial arts and police work and, you know, I always like to get out there and get in the middle of things. And the older you get, the more you mature through police work, you realize that you just can't, you just can't sustain uh, slamming into the asphalt two, three times a night. Sure. Night. Yeah. You just, you just can't sustain that because it catches up to you and it, it will take a toll on you and you want to get out of, you know, just get, you want to, the goal is to get out of this career and have some quality of life when you, yeah, have. so, absolutely. so many times we resort to fists and takedowns and, you know, Camoras and double legs and side control and all that stuff. We resort to that right away without really going back and taking a good, hard, no bullshit assessment look at our tactics tactics to see what we can do, what it is, what is it that I can do to prevent myself from getting into these things. And the best predictor of future behavior is past precedent by going back and looking at, at incidents. And what are the, what are the signs? What are the warning signs? What are the red flags? What are the cues here that will keep me from getting into a confrontation like this? And some of the things that we can do to prevent going physical with bad guys and believe me i'm not opposed to going physical some people just need got and some people <laughs> right. put on the ground and put in handcuffs and and cart it off the jails that the world is a better place when we do that sometimes but sometimes if we can avoid that it's better for us and especially in the climate that we work in now it's sure. better for us so little things like you know my whole the whole day of street academy is i just I probably had nauseum to some people. Some people say it's really great. I get a lot of good reviews, but, but I talk about time all all day, mm-hmm, all throughout the mm-hmm. class. And one of the things I jump right into is Boyd's Loop. And a lot of a lot of people, most cops, I hope most cops know what UDA is, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. most cops don't really have a deep understanding of Boyd's theories and and what the loop is all about and how we can use that and understand it to give ourselves back 
precious time to avoid a confrontation and maybe and maybe even save your own life someday. And, you know, it might be as simple as a tenth of a second mm-hmm. because sure. a lot lot can happen in the tenth in a tenth of a second. A guy with a gun in his hand down by his side, not pointed at you, can raise that gun and get a shot on target between a tenth of a second and a quarter of a second. Right. So if we could develop, if we can think about it and we can put ourselves in a position like somewhere behind hard ballistic cover, what do we give ourselves? We give ourselves time to react to that threat, that life threatening thing that's in front of us to be able to make decisions and react in a way that's professional. And sometimes, you know, confrontations are ugly. They're not always precise, but sometimes we can polish them up a little bit to the point where we don't end up in the hospital sure. before we have to go home at the end of the night. So it's little things like time and talk about what happens to us under stress when we're suddenly confronted with a, a, a life threatening stimulus that's like right in our face, what our bodies, what happens with our body, you know, what part of our brain takes over, how that functions, how long it takes the survival instinct in our brain to let go of our bodies and our physical reactions. So our cognitive brain, the part of our brain that actually thinks and makes rational, clear thought can take back over. And sometimes that's several seconds mm-hmm. and a sure. lot can happen in several seconds. That's one of the biggest reasons cops get, you know, in my class, I talk a lot about cops getting dragged by cars and I don't like that word because I think it's a misnomer. 95% of the time we're jumping in, we're grabbing on, we're mm-hmm. laying on, or we're stepping in front of moving cars and we're not actually, you know, drag has the connotation that a part of your equipment gets hung up on a vehicle and the vehicle takes off. You don't have a choice. Right. Well, a good preemptive tactic and a little bit of understanding about the things we do and realizing that it's not worth diving into a car to stop a driver with a suspended license Mm -hmm. might save a lot of heartache and grief 10 minutes down the road. Yeah. Because I always say this, from day one, from baby cop day one, it is pounded into our heads to not let the bad guy go. And yeah. somewhere along the way, us, when I say us, I mean trainers, train cops, we have to make it un- we have to make it known to cops that there is an option out there. So sometimes the juice is not worth the squeeze. And when it comes to cars, car versus flesh, the car always wins. I've always. been hit by cars twice in my life, and it hurts. And I can tell you, I've got a lot of rubbed off freckles couple broken bones and several months healing up from both incidents. And, you know, it's not a good place to put yourself. And we see it over and over and over and over again. How many times have you heard it? Police officer dragged by car. Yeah. See, you see videos all the time on the internet about that. When I started doing research for this class, there was no shortage of of data and material on cops being dragged by cars. Mm -hmm. And when we really deep dive into it, You know, it comes down to a few basic human reactions that are pre-programmed into our physique and our psyche. Since human beings have stood upright, those couple of pre-programmed responses take over. And those are the things that we need to understand to prevent ourselves from doing things like getting, you know, dragged, for lack of a better term, by a car or going for that unwanted ride down the highway. Yeah, for sure. Um, Just to unbox a couple of things you've said, we'll start with that part. Uh, you know, we're told not to let the bad guy go. And I think to the point of it's kind of I know it was beaten into me, like if the bad guy wins, you're a coward. You lost like, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's such a negative mark on you. And I feel like cops are so alpha in their mindset that no one's going to beat me. I'm going to win every time that they yep. throw themselves in such a precarious situation all the time. It, it's that it's that tombstone courage where, you know, they, they want to get that win. They want to come out on top. 
and they put themselves in unnecessary harm's way. Um, and it really, towards the end of my time with my first agency, that became so apparent. Like I remember seeing a car or, you know, just having issues and I'm like, you know, it's not worth it. Like that, there'll be another one. Like if a car runs or a guy runs or, you know, things get a little too hinky, we'll get them next time, you know? And, and it really starts becoming more apparent as time we, goes on. We have to stop framing it as a lose uh, yes. because just because a guy with a suspended license that you pulled over for a tag violation drives off down the road and you don't have them in handcuffs. That's not a lose with today's technology, with all the different investigative tactics and techniques and technical capabilities that we have. If that guy drives off down the road and you can't find him on a later day, you suck as a cop and you probably look for a way to get paid somewhere other than police work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really the bottom line. Right. And because- how, Go ahead. Because just because he drives away doesn't make it a lose. What are we going to do? We're going to dive into a car and try and throw it in park and end up getting dragged off down the road. And one of my partners ends up shooting up the car and, you know, I get mm-hmm. hit by, you know, there's so many instances where cops are getting hit, hit by crossfires and getting TBIs from getting slammed on the concrete. Bad guys are getting shot. I mean, listen, I, you know, this is probably a controversial thing to say, but there are some people on this planet that just need shot and the world is better off without them. But most of the time we can avoid that. Mm-hmm. We can avoid sure. that with the tactics we use by, by preemptive tactics. Uh, you know, a preemptive tactic is like a high-risk traffic stop. When we know somebody's got a gun and they're not going back to jail, they said, I'm not going back. I'm going to shoot it out with the police. What do we do? Do we run up on, do we bum rush that car? No, we do a high-risk traffic stop. Why? Because it gives us time to react. It gives us distance. Distance equals time, which gives us space to react and make decisions. We stay behind cover, which is ballistic protection from bullets. You know, that's a preemptive tactic. Sure. We don't use those enough in the rest of our, our daily our daily routine and our daily officer violator encounters. We need to start using preemptive tactics a little bit more because, sure. you know, I just I just put up a post today. I was looking for foot pursuit policies because I'm doing a little project on foot pursuits. And, you know, basically I got a lot of them were, you know, just start we're sarcasm. But I got a ton of comments back in the Facebook post and a lot of them were just he runs, we chase. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that. Sure. And we should we should be as cops. We cannot afford to not be scientists of our craft. We can't afford to run around with a GED in police work these days. You, mm-hmm. you, it's 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 unacceptable. It really yeah, is. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we, you, we really have to have that PhD in tactics and police work. I mean, we got to crack a freaking book every now and then and learn some stuff about what we do. Right. Yeah. And and that's some that's an ongoing. Th- theme i think with my episodes especially when i speak to the street cop guys because you guys are always about reinventing the wheel and, and learning more and adding more to it and whatever but there's it's just so easy right we were talking about being lazy to mm-hmm. not try to advance yourself and and if you do that you're going to get left behind in this job completely um and the world is not the same as when i started six years ago right right so compare that to a 20-year cop i mean six years or three years, whatever your, your scale is, the world has changed, which means the job has changed. And we, the law enforcement profession is a reflection of society. Mm-hmm. So you can't be that 20 year cop still, you know, busting guys for a little bit of weed. And, you know, I, I was thinking one of the things you were saying, I was thinking of like a seventies cop where they're just going to, you know, uh strong arm a guy just because he, badmouth them or gave them some attitude or whatever yeah, like, right, the right. world is so different you know so we by you saying that you need to be willing to crack open that book 
you're absolutely right. Whatever that case may be. So I, you're, mm. you're so right with that. Um, the other thing I should have taken a note. There was another thing you said that I was, uh, I wanted to touch on, but I missed it. While you're trying to track down your train of thought, you're having yeah, what ahead. I call my old man brain moments. I have yeah. those all the time, but you know, as cops, we tend to have, and believe me, I am, I am more pro police than any person you'll ever meet because I lived that life for a long time. And I think it's a, honorable and noble pursuit and we have to have cops men and women that are willing to stand up and do this job or else our society is going to go straight down the shitter period Mm -hmm. sure uh we are the thin blue line thing is not a cliche it's an actual truth we are the line between order and chaos but we cannot have this attitude of I deserve because I am cop because I show up and I answer two, I answer two and a half calls a night. <laughs> right. I'm the warrior that fights the evil that you pretend doesn't exist. And we walk around in our nine line and warrior 12 t-shirts <laughs> and, and, and pretend that we're like that. If you want to, if you want to throw that out there, you got to have a little bit of horsepower to back that kind of stuff up. Yeah. And when we go out there at the beginning of a shift and we have to throw a guy on the ground and tase him, and we've got bystanders that are wondering, why'd you throw them on the ground and tase them? A lot, it would go a long way if you were able to explain, well, here, here are like, here are like 11 and a half reasons why we put the guy on the ground and tase him. Here's why we use tasers instead of hitting him with a steel pipe. And here's why we, here's what happens when you get tased. And that's actually a much better choice than A, B, C, D, E, and F. Sure. And sure. when you have a conversation with someone like that, a citizen, I've had them a lot of times where they start out furious they end up saying, well, I kind of get it now. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. But that's not going to happen every time. No, no. There's some people that are just so uh, opinionated and they're not going to change their mind. They're so stubborn. But if you don't have the knowledge to have that kind of conversation with someone, again, I'll say it. This is point blank. You should probably look somewhere else to make money. Yeah, absolutely. And, (laughs) you know, it comes back to what you're saying about communicating, being able to talk to people, uh, you know, not necessarily, I wouldn't say, you know, we need to hold court on the side of the road when, when, a, right. you know, something like that happens. But the only thing that I would never say to a citizen, and I hear it all the time, it's because I said so, because Ugh. I'm a police officer. Just don't do that. Think about, think about as a child, when you were a kid and your parents told you to do something. Why? Because I said so. Great. What, what did that really accomplish? But if you explain right. logic to people and say, well, A, B, and C happened, and that's how we led to here. Like you said, so much easier. And I think that brings up so much more um, public awareness. Like, you know, we didn't just show up and thump this guy on his head. No, there were multiple things that led up to that. And I feel like that's where these Internet videos always kind of get disproportioned because all they see is the thump on the head. They don't see everything that comes up. And, you know, a lot of police agencies nowadays are trying to get ahead of that. Every time there's a big critical incident, they'll release the body camera while the guy is still in the in the jail sally port. Um, trying to get ahead of that because they know the social media is going to go viral momentarily. We talk about, you know, one of the huge things we talk about today, one of the buzzwords in policing is de-escalation. And mm-hmm. that, that phrase, while it's a valuable word when you right-size it and put it in the right box, is just, it drives me nuts because we should be, de- de-escalation comes from having good tactics. Sure. It comes from having the knowledge and the mm-hmm. inoculation to stress because you've practiced and you've trained yes. for that, which you're likely to incur out there on a regular basis. And you've, you've prepared yourself for it. And when you 
out there in the real world and you do something wrong, you actually have the humility to go back and say, how can I do this better? And yes. sit down and think about it and research and crack a book or watch a video or, mm -hmm. you know, or go to a class. I always say, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a genius at this stuff. I just pay attention to it. I mean, yeah. I, you know, my class, I think I have 70, 72 videos in my street Academy class that I debrief. Uh -huh. And anybody that comes to my class from the brand new six month rookie to the 30 year veteran can do it just like I do it. But what we have a tendency to do in this fast fed immediate satisfaction world of social media is we look at it and we go, man, that shit was crazy. And we swipe left and we keep yeah, rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we never consume what we just saw where or, or if break just, it down and, yeah. and try to just, take the learning out of it. Me and my mm -hmm. buddy, we did that too. Um, uh, you know, every time there would be a, a shooting video or mm -hmm. some kind of use of force video, we would look at it. And, and my sergeant was good at that, too. He would send it to us and be like, you know, what can you learn from this besides just, wow, that was crazy. And that's great. Um, I've, I've taken a verbal judo class. I have the verbal, verbal judo book on my shelf right there. Great stuff, right? I've always been good at talking to people. Go figure the guy with the podcast is good at talking to people. <laughs> but, yes, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Um, you were bringing up Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Imagine, right, being so good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that you don't have to use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because you know what your body is capable of. You know your tactics. You know your training. Well, guess what? That's going to make you more relaxed when you're talking to someone hostile because you know if things go sideways, you can handle yourself. So then you, you know, let's say the person you're talking to is already at a 10. Well, you know that should this escalate any further, you're good. So you don't have to match 10 for 10 you can be down at five trying to calm him down that's exactly what you're saying with tactics right you don't have to go in and already be escalated where they're escalated because you know what you're capable of but i think the problem is we have so many people that don't train you know they'll go to their yearly in-service and they'll do their right. defensive tactics they'll do their, right. their shooting training maybe some stress shooting or something like that but that's it. They don't go to the range. They don't work out at a gym. They don't go to, to, you know, BJJ mat, you know, they, that's it. Whatever they get on in service, that's it. And they're good with it. The best fighters fight the least period. Yes. The best exactly. fighters fight the least. The war is one in the preparation. And that's what I learned when I was, we were talking earlier about the operation where I almost got my buddy killed doing an undercover operation was my preparation for that incident sucked and we paid for it on the back end mm -hmm. and if you plan out a job or if in you know operational planning is not just for detectives and SWAT guys and buy bust operations it's for your average everyday patrol cop who goes out and works solo in a sector you know having a plan and focus always yields a better result than just random behavior period yes. Absolutely. And if you have a plan, even if it's only a three-point plan, you have a plan in place for three things, one, two, and three, and two goes sideways. When you have a plan in place, one and three still function the way that you want them to go. While, so you can focus on the thing that's going sideways and actually mm. deal with it without your world falling down behind you because you haven't made any plans to take care of all those other things. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that can, that can be said for police work, and it can go through – to regular just day-to-day -day life as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I was thinking as you were saying that, you know, obviously staffing is low for law enforcement across the board, but there are still plenty of cities out there and agencies out there where you, you know, turn the cop upside down, more cops just fall out. There's still right. plenty of cops. 
But yeah. there are always those terrible situations where something bad is going to happen when you're by yourself. That right. you know, you make a stop by yourself, you're you're you know ch- checking a business by yourself, and just things go sideways. It happens, unfortunately. Um, but when you start planning for the worst and you train and you keep it in your mind, like what's going to happen when these things happen, not if, but when these things happen, right? It already gives you kind of a step up on yourself in whatever situation you're going to do or come across. Um, Without question. And it's, you know, you know, we get into when Kenny Williams posts videos or talks Mm -hmm. or so much as even has a fleeting thought (laughs) about a front seat interview uh, on an interdiction stop. People tend to lose their minds sometimes. And it just I I laugh sometimes at it because we're, we're quick to jump on a tactic when we really haven't digested what is being done. Right. And And have no idea what actually is happening. Sure. And I, you know, and I talked, I wrote a couple of articles on the Facebook group about safety and front seat passenger inter, passenger side interviews in front, in the front seat of a patrol car. And I compare it to what's Kenny, if Ken, Kenny works, I think it's South of Chicago. Mm-hmm. All right. How many yeah, people in Cook County die of drug overdoses every year around the city of Chicago and in the city of Chicago? Mm-hmm. All right. How much fentanyl does it take to kill a human being? Couple, couple micrograms, right? Mm-hmm. How many micrograms in a kilo? There's a thousand grams in a kilo, so you can do the math. I'm terrible at math. That's why I'm a cop. But <laughs> you know, it's a lot. A kilo of fentanyl can kill a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And guys like Kenny are out there snatching that a single brick of fentanyl. It's unquantifiable how many lives that may save, right? right? So when we're talking about risk versus reward, here's a guy who's got the experience doing it. He has certain tactics put in place to protect himself. He understands what he's doing. He understands the risks he's taking. But yet, if me and 15 other dudes go out and throw on a bunch of SWAT gear and get out a bunch of long guns and we go up to the front of a house and we smash a window in, we toss an explosive device blindly into a room inside the house. It goes off. We all run through the door yelling, get on the ground, get on the ground for uh, you know, a bag of dope that may or may not be there. How many lives did we just risk to get that kilo of fentanyl? Mm-hmm. What's the, when you really break it down two cases like that, what's the risk versus reward in those cases? I mean, the SWAT thing, we'll all come back to the station and we'll fist bump each other. We'll be like, fuck yeah, man. <laughs> and we'll be, we'll be all happy about the raid we just did. Cause that's fun and it's sexy. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's cool yeah. to jock up and go out and kick doors because that's what we all want to be. Sure. But if you really think about it, what kind of work is a guy like Kenny or someone that does the type of work that he does, that he does, how many lives is he saving? And in this profession, the statistic, I mean, we're all about statistics as cops, right? The biggest statistic that we should chase is the one that we cannot quantify. And that's what we prevent. Yeah. And when, when you get a guy like Kenny or anybody else that grabs a kilo of fentanyl or a Rios, our undercover instructor that's out there doing multi-kilo hand-to-hand drug deals, how many lives is he saving? Every time he goes out and goes in the harm's way. And if we're taking the proper precautions and we've examined it from top to bottom and we've put contingencies in place, sometimes you just got to buckle up your chin strap and get on the field and play the game. Yeah. And if you've done your preparation and you've inoculated yourself to everything you can possibly inoculate yourself to when it comes to tactics, then you get out there and, and you think about 
what the risk versus reward is and is the juice worth the squeeze in what a guy like Kenny does. And we sometimes we, we look at tactics like, oh, I would never do that. We have a policy against doing that. Why would you do that? You're stupid. I mean, we mm. and cops, we eat each, we tend to eat our own. Yeah. And we'll jump all over one another for something we haven't even really thought about and evaluated and right sized in our brain. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think that's great. And every time, every time Kenny posted and I've taken Kenny's class and I've talked to Kenny a lot and you know, he, it doesn't even phase him anymore. It's like, it's right. water, water <laughs> off his back. Um, right. It's just like another freckle to an yeah, Irish guy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's just, you know, and it comes down to anybody that does something that other people don't understand. Right. It's like, Hey, it works for me. And Kenny is never saying that this is how it has to be done. He's just right. saying that this is what I do and it works for me. And it's offering not the it, tactic, it's a tactic. Exactly. And um, I liked what you said about being unable to quantify how many lives we save in a That's given right. instance. Uh, you know, I'm a big baseball guy and baseball is all about statistics and cybermetrics oh right now and everything. But one of the stats that I found recently is runs saved or something like that. Like runs that, that pitchers never allowed to cross the plate because of, right. or, or defensive guys, uh, you know, runs that they've saved. We don't have that. We don't have sabermetrics in, in policing where it's like, Oh, well, you know, if, if he did this several times, I mean, you could probably break it down. Like you said, if you got a kilo and X amount of microgram, whatever, but we can't. We never will. Uh, every once in a while, you may make a stop and you'd be like, wow, I know I saved that person's life or, hey, I right. uncovered, you know, uh, you've got, you know, sex trafficking rings and stuff like that. Like that, that might be something that you can say yes. But as a general rule, no, you cannot put a put a number on what we save. But you have to understand that there is a general risk by doing this job. That's right. And you know, yes, in a perfect world, no cop would ever get hurt. No cop would ever get shot at. Uh, there wouldn't be ambushes, but we don't live in a perfect world. What people need to decide and what people need to understand is that risk. Is that risk worth it to you? Some people have said no over the past several years with everything going on and they've stepped aside. Some people have said, yes, you know what? It's still worth it to me and they're still doing it and they're doing a great job. Uh, so when I look at a guy like Kenny, he's saying, that yet, you know what? The risk is that there's a drug trafficker in my front seat. He could ambush me, but the risk of not completing this traffic stop the way that I know is successful and know is effective is the risk is worse for me to let that car go than to not have this guy sitting in my front seat. And mm -hmm. I feel like every cop listening, every cop that gives Kenny a hard time needs to understand that balance that Kenny makes that quantitative decision before he has that guy sit in his front seat. And that well, goes for anybody that does that and anybody that does anything similar to it. Think about it this way. How many people come into police work? How, you know, men specifically and women want to do these jobs too. How many guys come into police work and the first thing they want to do is get into a dope unit or on a SWAT team, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So let me get you into a dope unit. Let's go out and do some undercover buys. What are you going to do? I'm going to run out and I'm going to jump in a car with a bad guy. I'm going to buy some dope off him and he may or may not rob me and try to take my money. All right. What's more dangerous? Yeah. What Kenny does? Or doing them street corner buys. Those street corner buys will kill you in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I would I would venture to say that they're exponentially more dangerous than than what Kenny's doing and the people he's dealing with in the manner yep. that he does it and the way that he does it. Yep. And if you're if you're just a reckless cop, you're a reckless cop, no matter if you're working interdiction or you know DUI details and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know, being a smart cop is being a smart cop, no matter what you do. If you're smart about buying dope, you're smart about it. If you're smart about doing interdiction, you're you're smart. 
we have to take that again. I'll use this. I hate to use the same phrases over and over again, but that hard, no bullshit assessment of our tactics and, and think, do they really work? Or is it dogma? Something we've just always been taught and then said, that's right. This is how you do it. Because, and I know for me, even in 1991, when I came in, when I heard someone say, this is the only way you shall do this, shall, will, and only, and those mm-hmm. were all, and ne- the word never were always big flags to me. Yeah. Uh, because I can tell you that, you know, my first, my first venture adventure into this kind of stuff was martial arts. And my, mm-hmm. my first martial arts instructor, who was my absolute best martial instructor, martial arts instructor used to tell us that we did two styles simultaneously, jujitsu and tang sudo. And he used to tell us that this, this is not the only stuff. And he would right. teach us a little bit of Aikido. He would teach us boxing, wrestling, a little bit of everything. Sure. Because he knew it wasn't it. It wasn't the tactic. It was a tactic. Just like when, you know, when we talk about we really preach the passenger side approach. And that's another thing. Every time you post something on the passenger side approach, I always get all these comments about, well, I can't see the VIN number from the passenger side. Mm-hmm. Okay. We want to get shot over seeing a VIN number. Is that what, is that really what we want? Right. Is that what you or really I, need? I can't smell the booze from the passenger side of the vehicle. Well, I can tell you that I have near zero sense of smell and I can smell alcohol on the passenger side of a vehicle when I stop cars or when I used to stop cars. Right. I could smell it. And sometimes we get, uh, you know, to quote an, another guy that I think this is a great quote, cops hate two things, the way things are and change. Yep. Yep. And you know, as soon as you say, we're going to change up the way we do things a little bit. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, we're, right. because we're comfort, we're complacent. Same guys that were in the briefing room complaining about how everything was going on. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. You should have, they're the, you should have done this guys. Mm-hmm. Not Always. here's something to think about in the future. And here's why you should think about doing it this way. It's just, you shouldn't have done that. Right. You know? It all comes down to don't be a wet monkey. That's what I would say <laughs> from the. <laughs> You know that story, right? The No, I do not. Oh, you don't know that en- one? Enlighten me. Okay, so it's a uh it's from a movie, but basically um you got a cage and there's four monkeys in the cage. And in the top of the cage you're going to put a banana. And there's stairs that go up to the banana. So one of the monkeys is sitting in the cage and he's going to go up the stairs, he's going to try to get the banana. Well, when he goes to try to get the banana, you're going to take an ice cold water hose and you're going to douse every single monkey with that ice cold water. So they're mm-hmm. going to go down off the, off the stairs. Then again, another monkey's going to go up the stairs, try to get the banana. When he goes up to get the banana, you hit him with water again. So you get the, take him down. Now you're going to take out one of those monkeys. You're going to put in a brand new monkey. And at the same time, you're never going to touch the ice cold water again. So now you've got four monkeys in one brand new monkey, three monkeys that are soaked from the water. The monkey's going to see that banana, the new one. He's going to go up the stairs. Now, the three other monkeys are going to grab the new guy because they don't want to hit, get hit with the water and start beating the shit out of him. So now the, the new monkey's like, I don't know why I got beat the shit out of. Well, now they're going to take another monkey out, put a new monkey in. That monkey's going to go up, try to get the banana. Now the new guy and all the other monkeys are going to start beating the shit out of that monkey. But the new guy has no idea why he's beating the shit out of this guy, right. but he's doing it. So you keep doing that until you replace all the monkeys. So now you got four brand new monkeys. Never touch the banana. Why? Because that's the way we've always done it. That's what it comes down to. It's funny. I always, uh, there's, you know, one of my favorite bands is Metallica. And I always quote this Metallica lyric when it comes to police work, new blood joins the herd and quickly he is subdued. Yeah. And that's what happens to a lot of rookie cops. They come out, 
we come out of, you know, our baby cop training classes and we're like, man, let's get out here. Let's get after it. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, whoa there, Roger Ramjet. <laughs> cool your jets and slow down a little bit. We don't make traffic stops after 2 a.m. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if it's below 40 degrees, we don't we, we don't make traffic stops. You know, there was a group of guys that and gals that I used to work with. And the old people and the old cops on the on the department called us the Power Rangers. We were <laughs> we were always out there in the middle of the night when it was cold, searching for something to get into, pulling on doors, stopping cars, stopping bikes, stopping peds, you know, doing that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Sure. And you know, police work. Yeah, right. The thing that you're getting paid to do while you're here. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, but you know, we, we, we don't think enough about tactics sometimes. We we don't we forget that the best fighters fight the least and the people that are the best prepared. Uh, for what they are likely to incur, have to deal with tragedy a lot less than those of us that are unprepared. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Jeff, this is absolutely amazing. So much insight, so much, you know, food for thought. Hopefully a lot of people are taking this to heart and going, you know, maybe reassessing their tactics, reassessing how they approach the job. I really appreciate it. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We are going to come back and we're going to play some signal three. Going to hit you with some uh, get to know you peppered questions and uh, we'll go from there. Let's do it. All right. We'll be right back. Did you know that in the years 2017 to 2018, the American obesity rate was over 42%? Did you further know that police officers are 25% more likely than the average American to die from obesity-related illnesses? These are diseases like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and high blood pressure. So what do we do? Do we continue to stay victims to shift work and terrible nutrition options while going call to call? Or... Do we do something about it? Well, I decided to do something about it, and that's why I started working with Nick Wall Nutrition. Nick is one of less than 100 professional nutritionists in the entire United Kingdom and has worked with many professional athletes from soccer, rugby, cricket, and even Team Great Britain. And all of his plans are backed by pure scientific evidence. Eating the foods you love and losing weight doing it. No fad diets, no pills, no powders, and no god-awful detox teas. Nick is the real deal and was named Nutrition Specialist of the Year for the year 2019 to 2020. Check him out on Instagram at NickWallNutrition or NickWallNutrition.com and join Nick's team and change your life. All right, we're back. We're going to play Signal 3 with Jeff Smith from Street Cop Training. An absolutely amazing conversation, Jeff. Thank you again so much for uh for giving me your time and, and all that insight i really appreciate it i love talking tactics and, and cop work so i'll you'll never find me short of things to say when it comes to police work i love excellent to excellent we'll have to re revisit all this in just a little bit for sure um now hopefully everybody listening was like wow he's he just had so much to say i need to i need to hear more uh if they want to hear more are you going to be uh teaching anytime soon yeah, I've got a class. I got a class coming up Friday in Prince George's County, Maryland, which is right outside of DC. It's a buy and dope class. Uh, Street Academy's in Myrtle Beach in January, uh, Springfield, Missouri, February, beginning of February. Buy and dope in Titusville, Florida, at the end of February. New York for Street Academy in March, and we've got a bunch more in the pipeline that are getting ready to get booked. Excellent. And if people want to register for a class, where do they go? Just go to streetcop.com and you look at available courses and you click on the course. And when you hit get to the course, it'll tell you all the dates and there's a link to register for each specific date. Excellent. Everyone doing that, check that out. And also check out the Facebook group. It's the uh, LEO only one where you have to provide um, identification to prove that you're a cop. And then you get in and you can get all this free education and just discussion with other street cops out there that 
really just want to do what you're doing. Just, uh, you know, you get to talk about it. And I think it's great because not only are you getting one-on-one access to the instructors like yourself, but also, you know, you can pick the brains of other people in the industry, other cops that just are hungry and want to go out and get it. And, you know, you kind of weed through the positives, the negatives, and, you know, there's still, it's a discussion board. So, you know, you, you got to deal with some of the, some of the other silliness of it, but so much yeah. resources in the Facebook group. So if you're not part of that guys, go check it out. The other, the other thing is too, all you know, all the instructors at street cop were, were those guys were, were the nerds because our jobs are our hobbies mm-hmm. and we love, we love talking about our jobs and the things that we've learned. And we spend a lot of time and I, I learn more doing this than anything else talking to guys and gals from all over the country offline, yep. just inside phone conversations and text message conversations. And, you know, I learned so much by doing that. So that's, that's a huge thing for us too. So you know, we, we like to be accessible. Uh, and, I'm, you know, none of us are like the end all be all. We're just cops that did a certain job and we're just conduits, little pipelines to pass on the stuff that we've learned. Yeah. And I mean, when you have just, these people willing to give that information. I mean, that's just amazing. And that's one of the greatest things about street cop. I just love the conversations that come from it. And you know, the guys and girls that are part of the company, just so accessible and easy to talk to. And it's great. And that's one of the best things that have come from this podcast is being able to talk to people such as yourself. I've learned so much. So we're going to play signal three, speaking about learning so much. We're going to learn about what makes you take there, Jeff. Are you ready for it? Hit me. Let's do it. Here we go. If you could identify with any sandwich, what would it be? Uh, probably just because I'm a cheeseburger addict, I would say a cheeseburger. Okay. What do you put on the cheeseburger? Uh, ketchup, onion, tomato, sometimes relish, depending on how it's grilled and how it's made. Okay. Provolone or pepper jack. And I like nice. Texas Texas toast buns because I'm a fat guy <laughs> at heart, and I love a big greasy cheeseburger. Nice. That sounds great. I had a uh, barbecue bacon burger last night. It was very good. I, You know, something about when I moved to the South, because when I was in New Jersey, barbecue bacon burgers weren't really a thing. But when mm-hmm. I moved down to Florida, barbecue sauce on a cheeseburger is just another world. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's your dream vacation destination? Uh, somewhere quiet and checked out and warm with a good breeze and okay. a lot of peace. Nice, nice. So, so you're not going to be going to like Key West anytime soon. No, I would, I would do Key West, but right. my ideal vacation is somewhere where I'm checked out and I have some peace and the ability to regenerate for a week. Yeah, I understand that. What's your favorite movie? Uh, let's see. Heat uh, is probably up there. I love the dialogue and Heat, Pulp Fiction. The dialogue is incredible. <laughs> Res- <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is probably probably right up there. So I I'll probably have to say Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Cool. What's your go-to day off drink? Uh, you talking booze? Yeah. Oh, that's easy. Jameson's Black Barrel or Green or Green Spot. Okay. Okay. Very good. What's one of your most embarrassing bonehead rookie mistakes? Gosh, this is an easy one. I took a bomb <laughs> to police headquarters. So no. I was brand new baby cop, literally just a couple of weeks in. And I see these guys smoking weed. This is in 1991. So weed was still really illegal then. And they were scraping their bong with a, a ninja sword, a katana sword. I was oh, like, geez. Oh. I was like, I got you bitches. I went up, locked <laughs> everybody up. I said, look, I can search the car now. Cause I have probable cause. I find an ammo container in the trunk of the car. I pop it open. There's a big piece of PVC pipe in there with rocket uh, model rocket fuses and debt cord and triple X black powder all sitting together. And my n- no good Sergeant who was complete moron says, put that in your car and take it to the police station and put oh. it in the property section. 
So I do that. I drive it down there. I get there and I'm I'm looking at it and my 21-year-old brain says, this is bomb stuff. So I go, I go and I find an EOD guy and he says, turn your radio off. We evacuated the police station. The chief was in a press conference about 40 minutes away. And when he came back, he comes walking down the alley and he says, who is the dumb motherfucker that brought a bomb to police headquarters? And of course, I had to raise my hand and say, <laughs> right here, chief, just fire me now. at least you took it on the chin you didn't like cower away or anything like that yeah right the funniest part of that story is my buddy mark uh who was also a brand new cop was transporting a prisoner that day and pulled out in front of someone at a stop sign got t-boned got the prisoner injured and i was sitting in the in the room where i was writing my memo and he comes in he's throwing papers and he's throwing clipboards and he's throwing stuff everywhere and he's cursing like mark what's wrong he goes, I wrecked a brand new police car and got a prisoner injured. I said, oh, yeah, I brought a bomb to police headquarters. <laughs> he looks and he goes, oh, thank God. Because <laughs> he knew everybody would forget about what he did. Right. Yeah, man. I wish I had that kind of luck. Not the bomb part, but you know, <laughs> people could forget some of my crashes. Um, what's your favorite donut flavor? Uh, Boston cream. Okay. What's your favorite police car you've ever driven? Uh, I like the Explorers. Okay. Yeah, I like them. I think they're just right for why I was a city cop. So they're just right for the cities. They're just fast enough. They mm-hmm. they handle really well. They're good yep. in all kinds of weather. Yep, I agree. I agree. I had a I had a Tahoe. Uh, Tahoes are nice, very big, very roomy. They 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 can get, but they're just so big. I always felt like I was going to tip it doing like twenty. So. Some of those some of those pursuit package Tahoes have some amazing technology. I will say that. Oh yeah. Uh, if you're walking into the biggest moment of your life, if you're about to give a big speech, whatever it might be, what is your walk on song? Oh, that's easy. Enter Sandman. Okay. Nice. I, when you said Metallica, I was, I was thinking it was either going to be that or like Master of Puppets or something like that. Uh, yeah. Master, Enter Sandman would be because that's got okay. a huge build, a huge build up. Sure. Sure. It's all about the build up. Uh, what was your childhood dream job? Rock star. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wanted to be a rock star. Nice. Nice. Do you play yeah. anything? I uh, play the guitar. Okay, nice. Um, let's see. Who's your favorite Looney Tune? Favorite Looney Tune, Yosemite Sam. Okay, okay. What's your proudest moment in law enforcement? My proudest moment in law enforcement? I, I, I would have to say it's a conglomerate. I, I liked all the, the crisis negotiations that me and some of the other guys were teamed up on where mm-hmm. we actually talked people out of experiencing a tactical intervention. Nice, nice. Well put, well put. What is something that you love that everyone hates? Uh, something that in my house, football. Okay. Uh, I love the strategy and the scheming and the planning in football, and nobody else in the house likes it. So from August until the Super Bowl, everybody else in the house is miserable. <laughs> Do you have a team? Uh, Yeah, I'm a Ravens guy because I'm a Maryland guy. Yeah. But I'm a player fan. More like I'm a huge Brett Favre, Chris mm-hmm. – Chris Carter, Randy Moss, you know, all, all the Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, Troy mm-hmm. Palomalu. I'm a, I'm a player fan. Gotcha. More than, okay. more than a team fan. Sure. And what is something that you hate that everyone loves? Something that I hate that everyone loves. Slapstick comedy. I can't, I don't, I can't sit and watch like the, the Griswolds and, and Christmas vacation over mm-hmm. and over again. I can watch Christmas story till the lung, my lungs stop filling with air, but yeah. I'm a more, I like action and serious movies and people think I'm disturbed because of, well, and I think what you said about like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, you seem like a dialogue guy too. So if it's got like smart dialogue or quick witted dialogue, I'm sure you probably get into that. I'm, I'm more that I'm that way also, but every once in a while I can, I can deal with some slapstick. Not when it's like 
over the top or like stupid. Like I'm not yeah. a big Will Ferrell guy. I'm not a big nope. like Mm-mm. you know that kind of crew. But like I actually just watched the Griswold last weekend. So <laughs> I mean, but you know, I I I'm a big um like Kevin Smith is one of my favorite writers, and he's a he has oh, a very yeah. um smart way with his dialogue, very mm. natural sounding dialogue. So uh, Jay and Silent that. Bob were amazing. Yep, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, if you could, let's see. No, I want to save that one. Um, what's the best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? Close your mouth and open your ears. No, that's a that's a reoccurring uh, theme within law enforcement for mm-hmm. sure. No doubt. Um, all right, late at night, just chilling in sweatpants, watching some super some football or whatever. What's your go to late night snack? I don't know. I try not. I, 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 it would have to be cheeseburgers again. I love cheeseburgers, dude. I could live. I could literally live on cheeseburgers and fries <laughs> for the rest of my life. That's nice. that's one. Of, that's one of my addictions. Okay. And now this last one. This is gonna be the last question. Um, I think I know the part of it. If you could share a meal with one person, dead or alive, that you never met, who would it be, and what would you order? Oh, one person. Gosh, there's so many of them. I'd probably go. I'd probably go with Martin Luther King because. Okay. Uh, he was an extremely intelligent man on a lot of fronts. Uh, he was extremely disciplined. Um, and he had a big heart obviously, and mm. the world could use a little more of that these days. Sure. Absolutely. A lot of- and, it, and I'd order steak without question. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking a cheeseburger, but okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> if, you, if you're going to have Martin Luther King, I think it needs to be a little bit better than a cheeseburger. Maybe. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right, Jeff, that concludes our conversation today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, if people want to get with you on social media and just kind of pick your brain, how do they find you? So I'm, I'm on Facebook. It's actually, you know, the antithesis of cop security. It's my actual name, Jeffrey S. Smith <laughs> on Facebook. I'm in both the, the new group and the private LEO group on Facebook and for street cop on Instagram, it's uh street cop underscore Smith underscore Smitty. And uh, I'm in the Instagram private LEO groups and the public groups on Instagram. Awesome. All right, Jeff, I really appreciate your time. I learned a lot and hopefully everyone listening did also. Yeah, man, it was a good time. Let's do it again. Absolutely. Everyone listening, stay tuned. I'll be right back. Pretty much amazing. There is no one like me. Yeah. There is no one like Mind your And all the people should be raising their glasses. Flow crazy, celebrating the madness. I never thought I would deliver no classics. Then I hooked up with them and they delivered no classics. I've been keeping it true. Hotel good, long as I can be with the view. Like, like. Damn, how high are we? You gotta gamble in this life, Charles Bar. I'm overprotected through the dopest of methods. Now my vocal perfected. This is audio breakfast. Yes. So tell a hater, here's a slammer. I know they hating on us, but mind your manners. And a special thanks to Jeff Smith for taking time and uh, telling us all those amazing things. I really think we nailed home so many things that 
law enforcement needs to hear and that admin needs to hear and so on and so forth. Not saying that admin isn't law enforcement, but I mean, is it though? <laughs> anyway, um, we're getting ready to wrap the show up. We've got a couple of special guests though. So we got Mr. Red Gun Squad here and we're going to be talking Home Alone and Home Alone 2. What's going on, buddy? How are you? None, bro. Been a long time. It's been a whole, like, what, three days? I know, I know. We've got, I think we're doing tomorrow, too. We're getting the, the Christmas party ready. This is, uh, we're like, are we dating? I think it, it's getting serious now. It is getting serious. This is serious. But thank you for joining me. I figure, you know, Christmas time, this is like, if, if I was watching like a sitcom or something, this is when they would bring all their special guests on, things like that, between that and Sweeps Week. So that's what I'm doing. I'm having uh, the D, Dr. D is going to be on in just a little bit. We're going to talk Elf. We had Frank last week. Next week, I think it's just going to be me. But I figure, you know, it's it's very rare for, for police meme pages or police podcasts or whatever to, like, review movies these days. So figure out, I'll try my hand at it, you know? Yeah, I mean, we can't go. We're Obviously, we're police meme pages, so no one gives a fuck. But anyway. <laughs> right. But, I mean, kind of <laughs> breaks it up a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're talking about Home Alone. Now, I Home Alone is one of my favorite movies for Christmas. Like, I've always just enjoyed it. I grew up so I was I think I told Frank this last week that Home Alone 2 for me was something that I watched way more as a kid and I don't know why I just my family didn't have the VHS of the original Home Alone so I just always watched number 2 but they're both really good. Yeah, they're both great. I mean, I I was the same way. I watched Home Alone 2 a lot more. I think it was more because it was the New York connection so True. Like yeah. right there and now it's like nostalgic for me cuz I'm like, "Oh, none of this exists anymore." But Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's still it's the it being from in New York and Home Alone too. I think that's why I watched it more. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think of that, but like it's also. I mean, it's got Donald Trump in it. It's got censor. Um, <laughs> right. It's got uh, oh, wait, Tim Curry in it. What's that? None of those people listen to this. No, not at all. Uh, it's got Tim Curry in it. Uh, you know, I saw a meme where it had like all of Tim Curry's uh, characters, and they were like. You know, you can tell what kind of person you are by what movie you know this guy from. And for me, it was always Home Alone 2. Like, you know, I, I knew people that knew him from Rocky Horror Picture Show or, you know, one of his other like crazy movies. But for me, it was always he was the the bad guy, but he really wasn't a bad guy. Now that I look at it as an adult in Home Alone 2, yeah. like um, but the original Home Alone is well the whole concept of the movies are crazy and the fact that they remade the original home alone which i don't even acknowledge its existence but the fact that they did i don't get it because it could very easily be you know hey siri call kevin and then it'll call kevin like hey why'd you miss the bus boom done movie over i don't know how they redid it um yeah like i didn't i I haven't watched the new one no i refuse to whatever but i feel like if you were to redo it you drop the ball because it should have been Kevin is now the dad yep. and he leaves his kid home alone. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. And the fact that it's not, and I saw Macaulay Culkin did a, uh, did an interview. I didn't read the whole thing cause I didn't really care, but he was just basically like, yeah, good luck to him or whatever. And which I think is just a Hollywood way of saying, yeah, it sucks, but you know, good luck. Uh, but yeah, he, he needed to be the dad, but of yeah. course, I mean, Actually, I saw a picture of Macaulay Culkin not too long ago, and he looks good. Like, I don't think he's been doing drugs and everything. I think he cleaned up. Um, but, he's yeah, like, he he's missed. He's looking better than he was. Yeah, like when he did Party post, Monster and all that stuff. Post Kyle Star, Star days. Right. 
And, uh, you know, Home Alone exists because Uncle Buck exists. Like, because of his character and Uncle Buck, that's why they made Kevin McAllister and everything. But, you know, so yeah, the the premise of the movie is crazy. Everyone knows it. We don't have to go over that. Let's talk, and we were just talking about it. Like, how does Mr. McAllister afford everything in that movie? Like, he is just... I I saw some article where they were like, oh, he's got to be like some big time, like investment banker in Chicago. And that's how he can afford that giant ass house, all the vacation for all of his relatives. Like, it's insane. I actually, I looked up an article and it kind of broke down how much it costs. You ready for this? Hit me with it. All right. So uh, in 2012, the house alone sold for $1.58 million. Okay. Um, so let's talk about home alone. The movie itself, you got 15 tickets from Chicago to Paris at Christmas. And that was 11 coach tickets and four first class tickets for the adults. So a nonstop round trip flight on American airlines, which is what they flew in the movie would cost $35,000. Get the fuck. Are you serious? <laughs> yes. Holy fuck. Tits. Yeah. Right. And that's not. It says, and that's not taking into account that airline prices have fallen in the last 30 years. So they were, they were talking about, they, they did prices for this for right now. Yeah. So it was more back then. Jesus Christ. Okay. So in the beginning of the movie, when he buys the 10 boxes of pizza, um, they pay for in cash, which is 122 50. Okay. So he's got 122 bucks on hand. Okay. Yep. Uh, which uh, in today's money would be $240. Um, so with, he's with the pizza. I don't want to cut you off if you were going to go there, but nope. Go ahead. They all had toppings. Those are true. Things. That's true. That's right. Because there was only what one one cheese slice or there something. Was only one cheese pizza. That's right. And they ate all of it. And they then because that's all Kevin would eat. Yeah. Um, and then they go uh, moving on to things that Kevin destroyed. His dad would have to replace the staircase that Kevin doused in tar and rebuild the shelves he tore out of the wall. Uh, in Buzz's room, which together would cost somewhere between nine hundred and fifteen hundred dollars at the very least. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, and that's not counting the flight. How'd the mom get back? Did you, oh, she she traded to get the tickets from the the old couple in in Paris, right? That's right. how she, she got went back. to like Houston to somewhere to. She ended up in Scranton. Right, and that's where she met um, John Candy. Right. The um, kickers. Yes. Which yes. is, by the way, the only reference to Kenosha I ever had until last year. Right, right. And when it got all, like, <laughs> shitty, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. You mean the place where John Candy's from? Like, what's going on here? Kyle Rittenhouse, what are you doing? He just wants to be on the uh, Kenosha Kickers. Oh, um, <laughs> and uh, And they were going to Sheboygan. Like, the, Sheboygan. I just know Sheboygan from John Candy. Exactly. Um, and then, then the parents and the, or the dad and the rest of the family – they they just changed their day back, right? So they already had the round trip flight. They just had to change the date, right? Right. Okay. All right. So Home Alone two. Now we've got fourteen tickets from Chicago to Miami at Christmas time. Four first class tickets for the adults and ten for the kids. Um, huh? I guess they lost the kid. Anyway, um, <laughs> that goes to nine thousand nine hundred twenty seven dollars. So Mr. McAllister went cheap this year. Um, Times are tough. Yes. And now um, we know that Kevin stole his dad's credit card and he starts racking up charges at the Plaza Resort or was it the Plaza Hotel? Plaza Hotel. Plaza Hotel. Um, 
So I guess the room he was in is akin to something called the Royal Suite, which can run up to $30,000 a night. Um, it's often reserved for VIP guests. Uh, but most likely he would have had to play, be placed in a one-bedroom penthouse suite, which uh, includes butler service, which he had in the movie. And that comes to $2,915. $2,915. Jesus. Okay. Um, which if you were, and that goes to, hold on, this just keeps going. But, and then in Miami, they, because remember the first movie, he's in Paris with his family. So he, he doesn't have to spay, spend on room and board. The second movie though, he's at the place called the Villa de Dauphine, uh, which is, it doesn't really exist, but an equally cheap motel costs about a hundred dollars a night. So you're talking about, uh, they need at least seven beds. So $693. Um, a, Toy from uh, Duncan's toy chest uh, was twenty three seventy five, which is about forty four dollars in today's dollars. Yeah, I was wondering, like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, for he didn't even buy they all that much. Bad right? toys. <laughs> yeah, like, it was like a. It wasn't like Fao Schwartz. It wasn't like you know anything like that. It was. No, like, it was know. like a glorified Pez or something like that. I forgot what it was. Right. Right. Um, and then talk about the one-way flight from Miami to New York on Christmas Eve. That's $1,800, which you add all the different people. Uh, so that's $3,100 to get them home, to get them to New York from Miami on Christmas Eve. Um, then you start talking about all the damage he caused, which that's just, you know, the house was under renovation, so I'm sure they would, but it came up to something about $1,000. And then, of course, he racked up the almost $1,000 in room service, which was $967 in room service. So. Um, somewhere the range for Home Alone 2, what it cost Mr. McAllister was about $22,000. Still cheaper than Home Alone 1, though. So good for him. Yeah, but still, Jesus. Right. When you think so about then, it, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like the meme you you sent me. Uh, you know, Mr. McAllister must have been taking bribes from Tony Soprano. Yeah, you always wonder what he actually did. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. So then the next article I found, and again, I love this movie. I love this movie. I'll watch it anytime it's on and not need to turn it off, but it's fun to pick apart as an adult, I guess. Um, so things that only adults notice in home alone, right? Uh, first one is obviously Kevin's a bit of a brat. Kev- Kevin's a dick in the first one. He's a, he's a dick. Uh, well, I love, my, one of my favorite lines is when he's jumping up and down upstairs in the beginning yeah. of the movie in home alone one. Mm-hmm. And he says, when I get married, I'm living alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. I love that part. So this, this article goes on to talk about like, you know, when the mom says, Hey, leave me, leave the room. And he's like, hang up and make me. Why don't you like, come on. Like even, even back then that kid would get slugged across the room. Let's see the other one. This one, I I didn't really like this part in the article saying about how the McAllister's house is entirely Christmas themed, like all the couches and everything. Cause that's just, that's just set design. So I'm not, I'm not going to get tough on Mr. McAllister for that one. Um, the McAllister's parenting skills leave a lot to be desired, of course. But here's the thing. Let's talk about Uncle Frank, because I can't stand that guy. And I know, like, we're not supposed to like him. Like, he's supposed to be, like, the villain. Well, there's a conspiracy theory that Uncle Frank, like, did, um, like, purposely tried to leave Kevin at home. And then, obviously, he did. Because, like, you know, the whole time, they're just, like, buttonheads. Even in number two. I just don't like that guy. Like, he's just, he's filling up champagne in the plane. He's, uh, you know complaining that he has to do you know wake up in the morning like fuck yeah, I mean, uncle frank nobody, he, nobody likes mooches and i mean that's the thing is every family's got them every group of friend has that mooch that like they if there's like a house party they show up with nothing and just eat everything and drink everything yeah. and don't contribute he's that guy 
like when right. the pizza gets delivered, he's like, "Ooh, pizza!" And then the the delivery kid's like, oh, "I'll be one twenty two or whatever it is." And then he's like, "Ooh, uh, it's my brother in law's house." <laughs> right? Yeah. Thanks a lot, Uncle Frank. Really yeah. appreciate it. And they just walked away with the pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Um, and that's like in number two when uh, when Buzz is Buzz is another dick. Can't stand him either. But when Buzz messes with Kevin in the in the recital or whatever, and then they're having like their family meeting, and uh, Uncle Frank is like, uh, "You better not ruin this Christmas. Your your dad paid good money." And then Kevin's like, "Oh, don't want to ruin your good time, Mister Cheapskate." I was yeah. like, "Yeah, Kevin, you tell him." Yeah, that was no well deserved. Well, yeah. I don't like how like I get it. The whole plot of the movie is Kevin's the one that gets in trouble all the time, but Buzz literally never got in trouble. No. <laughs> He never. He, he just he has that look on him like he's a little asshole, mm-hmm. and like just just once you would just like to hear Buzz get crushed, right? Especially, yeah. I mean, he had the only um, saving grace he had was in Home Alone two, where he like you know gave Kevin the first toy. Ooh, big deal! Kevin's the reason why you got the toys in the first place. Yeah, and then immediately rats him out for the yeah. I was just going to say that. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you think of all the stuff that was in Buzz's room, the fireworks, the porn, like, like Buzz is a bad kid. Like Kevin's just like the baby in this giant house. So give him a break. Maybe, maybe because Any I'm the youngest who has child. A pet tarantula is a bad kid. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, what? So we go back to the, the McAllisters and their parenting. Like what, what's going on here? Why is Buzz such a dick? And Kevin is getting shit on. I think we're onto something here, buddy. Um, Next thing they say is that Kevin's dad risked ruining all of their passports because when the milk spills at dinner, all the passports are right on, and all the plane tickets are right on the counter with them. So, really, this might go back to Mr. McAllister. Good. Um, this one says Kevin's mom left out a rather important detail when calling the police. So, you know, and, and this this movie was on the other day at work, and I was watching it, <clears throat> and obviously being in a police mind, and even, you know, just an adult mind, you're like, man, how did how did the well? First off, the police officer that showed up, he did nothing wrong. Like, if we get a, a well being check and we knock on the door, no answer, no answer. Like, what am I going to do? I can't bust down the door. Yeah, we're not breaking um, windows. Right, you're not going to do that, especially at that time. The lights were on or whatever it was. Like, it looked like it was a secured house. But what Kate forgot to say, she goes, I'm calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. You're supposed to say, I'm calling from Paris. My kid was supposed to be with us, but he never showed up. Now he's home alone. That kind of changes things a little bit differently. Yeah. I mean, it almost uh, like exigent circumstance type thing. Right. Right. You got to let us know what's going on here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. It's uh, it's home alone as in. There's no guardian there. Grandma isn't with them. You know, is there a babysitter? No, right. And he's nothing. like all of five years old, maybe. I can't remember how old he's supposed to be in the movie, but he's, how old he is. he's young, young, yeah. young. Doesn't mention any of that. Um, again, this is why this movie wouldn't work in the first place because it, it in modern days, because now it would be like, all right, does he have a cell phone? Can we ping it? Blah, 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 blah. So many things that would, you know, counteract this movie. Uh, the next thing says, why does the pizza guy or why doesn't the pizza guy call the police? So when he comes back the second time, Kevin gets pizza from him and he has the, the movie on and he sets the firecrackers off and all that shit. But he just, he just runs away. <laughs> he doesn't call it, which by the way, that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Just every time he, he messes with the, with the movie. Yeah. 
the gangster movie, hilarious. To to this day, still makes me bust out laughing. I didn't but, know that wasn't a real movie until like five years ago. Yeah. I'm trying to find like that old school gangster movie and get on your knees and tell me you love me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a little weird for Kevin's neighbor to confine in a in a lone eighteen year old boy. When they're at when they're at the church and you got Mr. Uh, old Man Marley yeah. and you know he's telling him about his problem with his adult son. Yeah. Uh it's a little weird. It's a little, it's a little, weird. It's a little weird for the shovel. What is this? What Buzz call him? The shovel slinging killer Slasher. or something like that? Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, but no, we're gonna we're gonna get I mean I get it, you know, it's supposed to be the, the cute, heartwarming part yeah. of the movie, but it is it's a little weird. It's a it's Kevin's lucky he didn't burn down his house. Of the many traps Kevin set for the wet bandits, one had to, that could have had disastrous consequences is the electric coal starter or charcoal starter that he hangs on the front doorknob. The idea behind this trap is simple. Even if the physics are a little uh, advanced for a second grader, he plugs in the starter uh, to the house and then hangs it on the metal doorknob, uh, which conducts heat through the outdoor doorknob and that gets Harry to burn his hand. However, uh, Harry gives up the front entrance and then um, Kevin leaves it plugged in. So if he left it plugged in and assuming that it went on for like an hour or two, uh, he could have burned down the entire house. Yeah. That. And then the, the blowtorch that was just and the, hanging <laughs> ceiling high, ceiling high. And I'm sure there were like cloth curtains right behind the door where, where Harry walked in. Yeah. And then of course, you know, Kevin could have very easily killed the wet bandits. But again, this is where you just take the slapstick humor and go, all right, I understand that it exists, but yes, so many times, like, all those injuries that he uh, doles out. I mean, can we he, just talk about how many, uh, if he, if Kevin was an adult, how many attempted murder charges he would be yeah, <laughs> charged yeah. with? Exactly. Multiple so, different ways. He shot a BB gun at Marv's face. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, uh, the paint cans over the stairs. I mean, yep. just that alone, especially assuming that they're full paint cans. I mean, you're talking, that's a lot of force going to your face. Yeah, I mean, that's it, not going to feel good. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. And then I think there's some more, but we're going to cut it. Um, the last one is that the ending is seconds away from becoming a horror movie, which, you know, this one, it gets so swept under the rug because obviously it's the end of the movie, but Harry was going to bite the kid's fingers off. Like, yeah. <laughs> can we talk about how weird that is that i mean it, when you think about it because like it's a it's a disney movie right uh did, did disney I, buy it afterwards it, yeah it did yeah yeah just regardless though it's like it's a now it's a disney movie it's associated with disney right. that is like one of the darkest parts of a disney movie right like, right and if it wasn't for the dude with the shovel like which again would probably kill the guys but like so and we, you know, now that we're cops, we don't, we're probably thinking like, all right, so did like Kevin, did Kevin uh, testify? Did all those other people like press charges? It's, I don't know. And then in number two, it kind of, they rekindle the whole thing and they're going to shoot him. I, it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 it gets a little dicey. It gets it a little dicey for sure. Does. And then it's like. I don't know. We we could really unbox this and make this way more than just a simple Christmas movie. But you know, it's it's fun to just kind of pick it apart and have a little sense of humor about it. Oh, it is, and that's what the best part about like Christmas time is with all the memes about these old classics and stuff like that. Like the meme for uh, the room service bill when mm-hmm. Kevin's dad flips out. Kevin, you spent nine hundred sixty-seven dollars on room service, mm-hmm. and then the meme is like, 
why don't we relax on the $967 because of the, because <laughs> don't you remember you left your child home alone twice? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so I remember seeing that. I was like, so how about we shut the fuck up? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's right. not and forget about the part where you abandoned your child twice, two twice. years in a row. It's not even yeah. like you went to like the neighbor's house or out of town for a little bit. You were gone. You were across the Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> there and, and not only that, you're you're leaving Chicago. So it's not even like New York. Not that it makes it any much better, but it's it's far. That's the whole point. It's far. Yeah. Um, I would even say, you know, if he was like just up the road, if if he was if he was up in Sheboygan, less less of a less of a problem, you know. I don't think Sheboygan from Chicago is all that far, but it's not not Paris, France. Nah, yeah. So where would you where do you rank Home Alone on your list of Christmas movies? So uh i home alone's in my top five mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh i always go elf as my number one mm-hmm. elf I, I just love elf elf's a great movie yeah yeah elf's always my number one and then home alone i usually slot in at like two okay now when you say home alone do you do you just count the both together or do you kind of separate them or? i count them both together yeah they're interchangeable to me they're not only they interchangeable, but like if I'm gonna watch them, I'm gonna watch one and two right after each other. Like I'm gonna yeah. sit down and have a couple hours where I can just watch these movies and just and just chill. Yeah, exactly. Which there there are some weirdos that will watch two and then one. I don't get that. Like if you no. have the opportunity to watch both, watch them the way they're supposed to. Watch just, them in order. Don't be yeah. some weird Jedi Star Wars episode four, three, seven, one, four, six, eight. And then an animated series. Yeah. I know. Uh, I, I agree. Um, if you had to rank it one to 10, how would you rank it? I'm going to go nine. Yeah. As far as, as far as like Christmas movies concerned, it's, I mean, there's, there's really nothing wrong with it. I enjoy it. Um, yeah. I'm, I just, I, not even just because it's like nostalgic, but there really aren't good new Christmas movies. I don't know when the last good Christmas movie was. I heard, I've heard very good things about eight bit Christmas, the new uh, Neil Patrick Harris movie. I haven't watched it yet. I've heard really good things about it. I haven't even heard of it. Yeah, it's on uh, HBO Max. So I it's, check it out then. This is the yeah, first time I actually, I've never even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, brand new. It's it's him telling the story of his kid to his kid about how he wanted to get the uh, the original uh, Nintendo for Christmas, and I guess what goes along with it. But it sounds from the trailer I watched, it sounds way more heartfelt than like Jingle All the Way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, I gotta get the toy. It sounds way more heartfelt. He's so. got two. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, <laughs> all right, buddy, I'm gonna let you go. This was great, and uh, everyone listening, Monday, uh, December 20th is when we are releasing the Jersey Boys Christmas party. So call and leave your season's greetings, and we will play them on the show, and, and we'll roast you about them. Let's go. All right, buddy, I'll see you then. All right, see you then, bud. Bye, bye.
All right, so now we're going to talk about Elf with uh, another tall elf that we have out there. We have Dr. Delery. What's going on? Hey, how are you guys? And it's funny you mentioned the tall elf because my old apartment in New Orleans, the shower was really small. And so when I got in the shower, I actually looked like Buddy the Elf in the shower because my face was over the shower. <laughs> That's awesome. My uh, my shower situation like right now, it's this house was built probably in the 70s. So I guess people were shorter back then because the shower is significantly <laughs> smaller than I'm expecting. So like, I, you know, you look up to get the water in your face and it's like hitting your chest. It's just, well, that's okay. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about Elf. And I haven't talked to you, I think, since like April or May of last year or this I year. Know, it's been a long time. It's been a long I was time. on a track record to set a new record. And then yeah. now we're back to baseline. That's okay. That's quite all right. We'll, uh, we'll get back to it. Um, we still got to figure out when we're going to do the new drunk cops. And, uh, Oh no. Yeah, we never <laughs> needed a year to recuperate. I know. I know we it were was, yeah, a year ago, almost a year to the date. Yeah. Uh, Frank and I were just talking about how it's been that long. Uh, <laughs> and you're having flashbacks. I can see it. Uh, one of my students said the word fireball the other day. And I almost threw up in class. <laughs> if you guys don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to episode 10, uh, the original Drunk Cops episode with Dr. Delery, Red and Frank, and myself. Good times. Good times. Mm. Um, and then you have to DM the doctor right here and uh, encourage her to do the next Drunk Cops cheap date. So that way her, Ben, and Radio can just get wasted. And I can't even drink that one because, like, it'll be too crazy that there needs to be a sober adult in the room. Yeah. But are we even adults? Like, let's. let's <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> At that point, no. So have you ever been part of a wet lab? I have. You have. Okay. So they're, they're taking volunteers at my new PD for next year's wet lab. And I'm in a position right now where I can do that, where I can partake. But I've heard so many horror stories of like, they just don't stop pouring. Like uh, one of the dispatchers was saying that when she did it and she was a new hire, that like she was falling on the floor and like drawing penises on the briefing uh, room whiteboard i'm like i'm a new guy i don't want that reputation i don't want to be that guy like give Wait, me a year i may have different definitions of what a wet lab is what is a wet lab in oh <laughs> <laughs> so when 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 new cops when baby cops are doing their dui training um mm. you're gonna have their training officers start feeding people alcohol so they can actually do a legit dui training on a drunk person and then there's always going to be like you know, you know, there's a, there's a control. So there's one person that's stone sober and they have to figure out who, and then there's going to be different variants of, uh, that. yeah, we, our wet labs are different. You're like, Oh yeah, have you done a wet lab? It's like, yeah. Anytime in science, when you're kind of in a lab and like working with like cells or animals or things like that, or like actual chemicals and stuff, we call it a wet lab. Oh, nope. Totally different definition. I was like, when you were like, people are drawing penises. And I was like, what, what kind of science <laughs> are you doing? The best kind. Oh, the no. best <laughs> wow we are really off the beaten path and yeah, actually anyway, speaking of not being adults yes elf, elf <laughs> is a great movie of not being an adult <laughs> it is it is and you know actually my my girlfriend's daughter wants me to be buddy the elf for halloween next year do it but i have to be in character the whole time like i have to and i, I hate you do yeah. it <laughs> and then also on the flip side or as well you know there's a big um 
Christmas light display in St. Augustine and they want me to go in that costume to St. Augustine and be in character. I said, I would have to be quite tipsy to do that twice, but we we might have to make that happen. I have Um, a son of a nutcracker onesie. Okay. Borrow. Is it close to the it's close to the elf costume? It, it's well, it's not close to the elf costume. It's literally just you know down the front side of it is Buddy the Elf screaming "Son of a Nutcracker." Oh, okay, okay. I, yes, I think I've seen your. Yeah, I wore that. Uh, our, our medical school is pretty cool, and we had a uh, so we do intro to clinical medicine as a course, and basically they do like case studies where you know the students can get familiar with you know patient information, how to process like taking patients in and things like that. And we watched for, you know, fun Christmas one, we watched the movie Elf and one of the other professors brought in all the candies and all the seeds, like candy canes, syrup, whatever, we had all this stuff. Uh, and they went through and they talked about how everything he was doing was leading up to like, you know, diabetes and how when he started putting out sugar, he ended up, you know, drinking alcohol in a mail room as a coping mechanism. So like it was, it was pretty creative and I thought it was cute, but, you know, faculty members dressed up in like Elf yeah elf gear <laughs> nice 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 um so elf i so we were just talking about this so in in the real world it's going to be on monday but in our current conversation 10 minutes ago when we were talking to the jersey boys uh we were talking about elf now red says elf is his number one christmas movie uh frank ranks it like at the bottom and I'm just somewhere in the middle. It's not in my top five, but it's definitely in like the top 10. Where would you say it is for you? Oh, I think it's varied. I'm going to say it's probably up to the top because it's one of those feel good ones that you watch mm. and you get serotonin out of, um, right. you know, in terms of like a really good Christmas movie, like my family's big tradition was always white Christmas, that old mm. Bing mm. Crosby movie, like the classics. Um, and so I'd probably say Elf is in my top, probably maybe even top one, but top top three at least okay okay so i will say as far as will ferrell movies go it's number one i'm not a big will ferrell guy but he's growing on me i think okay land of the lost is my favorite by him and that's a it's mm. science that's why i like it okay okay it's really bad it's, it's bad it's bride and and um will ferrell and it's really good. oh geez okay um is that does that have to do with dinosaurs uh yeah or there's dinosaurs in the promo but yeah there's a big gigantic t-rex and they like go back in time to like dinosaur era or something and like, okay. Yeah. I think I've seen, I haven't seen that movie, but I think I've seen about it. Um, it's good. Is it's it bad, but it's good. Good. It's good. good bad. When you watch it. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's kind of where it ranks for me. It's a good movie. I think we need to preface Christmas movies generally aren't great movies. Like, you know, they're, they're for feel good. Don't, don't just dissect them too much, but they're, they're good. They're good for, you know, the dopamine hit and the serotonin hit and everything. But I enjoy the movie. Um, I didn't know for years later that Zoe Deschanel was in that movie cause she's blonde and I think her bangs aren't where they usually are. So she didn't even look like her. Um, so when I figured out it was her, I was like, Oh no shit. That's crazy. Yeah. I think that's great. It's, it's, it supports my belief that Superman would be able to survive in the real world, which is putting glasses on. If oh, so, we just know we just don't know who she is with blonde or brunette. <laughs> yeah, and just move her bangs to the side, and suddenly you're like, "Who is that?" Because I've yeah. seen a few pictures of her now without bangs, and I, she kind of looks like Alexis Bledel from. Yeah, from, I can see that. Yeah, so and that's who I thought she was when I first saw it, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is trippy." Um, yeah. All right, so I have some theories about Elf. Okay, let, because growing it. up, I hated it. 
I thought it was stupid. I thought it was dumb. I thought it was just cheap humor and really just had no point to it. But I think that was kind of more of the, the you know, they, they always say you're an old soul when you're a child and you've lost like all of your serotonin by like fifth grade mm. kind of thing like that. And it's now that, you know, you and I are older and we're adults, adults, quote unquote, now right. where it's like we kind of want that simple childhood feel good that it's like that's mm. why we gravitate back to it even though like i detested this movie as a kid i thought mm. it was the worst and just so stupid and who would like it now it's just like i love it <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh yeah no. i i i rejected elf in the beginning because i didn't like will ferrell like i just you know I, and i anything that he was a part of especially like a, a will ferrell vehicle i was like i don't i don't have time for this um I will I will rewatch the Santa Claus ten million times, but I had no yes. I had no room in my life for Will Ferrell. I forgot about <laughs> Santa Claus is okay. Santa Claus is probably my number one actually. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'm gonna back. talk about that next week as well. Um Okay, so I'm gonna talk I, I pulled up some IMDB elf trivia. Uh, oh, did you oh, know no. that uh Will Ferrell turned down twenty nine million dollars to make a sequel to Elf? There was gonna be an elf too, and he turned it down. Good for him. I, I am so tired of these sequels. Yeah. And they the don't ever win. Was that? They don't ever win. They're not no, good. No, no, not at all. And, it, it, you know, I, I get it. Hollywood's just trying to go back to the well and make money off of what they've already made money off of. And aside from, like, the cheap uh, nostalgia that it gives, there's nothing. Like, the movies aren't good. Like, I've talked about it a bunch. Uh, Red and I just talked about it. The new Home Alone that came out on Disney+. Plus. I, I didn't I, even hear about that. Yeah, I'm not even like addressing it. Um, they just told me that, and this is spoiler alert for next week's episode, that Buzz plays the cop in the new Home Alone. That's the only, but again, that's a cheap nostalgia thing. Yeah. But the movie's probably trash. Yeah, that's like they threw in all the old characters from Karate Kid into the new. Yeah, exactly. Or, or any of those reboots when you talk about like the Boy Meets Saved World the reboot, Bell? Saved by the Bell. Yeah, I didn't even know they were doing that. And Boy then Meets World. Boy's World. Um, there's a there's a new Wonder Years that's coming out. Oh no! Yeah, it's come on, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's be original. What happened here? Um, the cotton balls that Buddy eats in the doctor's office was actually cotton candy. Thank God. That, okay, I had okay. questions. <laughs> um, the scene where Buddy eats different candies and pastries with spaghetti noodles uh, had to be shot twice because Will Ferrell vomited the first time. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> This film uh, uses elements of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer uh, because that film is not properly copyrighted, uh, containing an error in the Roman numerals of its copyright notice. Dang. So think about that. I mean, well, that's Rudolph why they have those little like cartoon or like yeah. animation guys in yeah. the beginning. That makes sense. It does. It does. And just think about how old that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Another classic though. Yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. I said I was going to, and then I did it. Now I'm going to. Okay. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, right? <laughs> I, I got issues with it because the whole movie is about this freak, right? That's how he's treated. He's treated as a freak cast out of society, literally cast out of society, goes to the land of misfit toys. The moment it's found that he can be beneficial to society. They love him. Yeah. Even Santa Claus, Santa Claus was like, nah, bro, get out of here. You're weird. Like, yeah. can we remake this a little bit? Like Santa's the bad guy in that movie. Like, he, and you Rudolph saw almost, the 
this, the thing that people are talking about now where it's like Santa knows who's naughty or nice. So Santa definitely knew he was getting bullied. I don't know if you shared that or something else. I, I did. I did. But yeah, no. And that's, that's what made me want to talk about it. Like, you know, Santa, Santa almost is responsible for Rudolph and uh, who's the elf? Herbie? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think it's Herbie the elf. Yeah. For getting eaten by the abominable snowman. He is, it's Santa's fault. Santa fires the kid, fires the elf, and he fires Rudolph. Like, that's a rough take on Santa. We always think of Santa as like just this all wholesome and nobody can do wrong. Yeah, that's a rough take on Santa Claus. All right. Uh, the elves have a picture of syrup in their break room instead of coffee. Uh, the scene where the fake Santa is chasing Buddy had to be done in one take because it was too hard to rebuild everything. <laughs> that's a good scene. I'm going to have to watch this tonight. Um yeah. Will Farrell's brother Patrick, he that's a this is a very Irish family for the yeah. for the Farrells. Uh, played a security guard at the Empire State Building. Let's see, anything? they don't look anything alike. Oh my god! Well, I guess they have the same <laughs> nose. I'm googling his pictures now. You, you oh did god. okay. Most of the shots with Will Farrell and Ed Asner in the workshop with the elves are forced perspective rather than CGI. That's cool. I always like forced perspective where like, have you seen the one there's this kid, he's got autism, I think. And he takes pictures of toy cars with, with real scenery behind it. And he does the forced perspective to make it look like it's actual size. That stuff is really cool. I mean, yeah, they have to do that for me to keep me in the (laughs) normal human frame. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so if we ever do the 10, eight meetup for you and red to be, uh, actual size, lots of forced perspectives. Yeah, lots of horse perspective. Um, or a stool, or a phone book. I heard. <laughs> okay, I heard that um, back. I think it was when George Bush, George W. Bush, was debating John Kerry. They are two significantly different in heights. So to make them look the same height on camera. George Bush had to stand on a milk crate or, you know, some equivalent yeah. of a milk crate. And that's just because that's how Americans minds work. Like if they saw that George Bush was significantly shorter than John Kerry. No, oh, it's a happen? disadvantage. But although yeah. I think it's, I think it's sex dependent because if it's males, they want you to be taller. Like they mm. perceive being taller is better, but with females, it's the opposite. So True. whoops. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel, who for the longest time I had the hugest crush on Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. And and just like her characters in 500 Days of Summer and New Girl, just loved her. Uh, she performs three songs in this film. One of them is Baby It's Cold Outside, of course, yeah. where she sings in the shower. Then she sings it again with Leon Redbone over the end titles. And she later made an official yeah. recording with her indie duo, She and Him. Have you ever heard of them before? Yep. Yep, I did. I think her sister helped out on a couple songs, too. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. They both, I think, were professionally trained singers. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Uh, this was Will Ferrell's first leading role. No way. Googling that. Yeah. 2003 was Elf. So, huh. yeah. I'm, I I could have... Sw- was he not the lead in old school? I mean, maybe because they had so many good characters for that yeah, well, that came out in 2003 also. Let's see. Who do they count as starring in Old School? Who got top bill? So it was it Luke Wilson. Say, yeah. It says, well, his first starring role was, yeah, Frank the Tank in Old School. Yeah, okay. So, it, but I mean, same year. So maybe he got billed yeah. for this one first. So 
I don't know. The rest of these are just super technical. What are what are your plans for Christmas? What are you doing? Uh, nothing. Making my immunology course like I did last year when. Uh, uh, <laughs> that is so uh, so festive. You're you're killing me with this festivities. Well, my family's still in New Orleans, and we're kind of mm-hmm. separated um, for all that, and I'm not able to go down just with. Yeah, the semester ended, and it's like, oh crap! I didn't make any plans for Christmas. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm planning to decorate and like you know bake cookies and stuff like that. Um, and usually my you know family like Webex or Zoom or something like that. But I did make plans to go down for spring break. Nice. So that'll be fun. And your, your and dad was, was just up there, right? Yeah, he came up for Thanksgiving. So it's like I did get some family time in, which is uh, nice. And he did say he wants you to visit. Okay. He wants to take out for a beer. And uh, I guess, you know, I guess Frank and, and Red can go too if they want to, but we'll do. <laughs> you guys plan your spring breaks with my spring break. Okay. There we go. And we'll just go down to New Orleans and meet Papa Delery. Yes. Oh, he'd, oh, he'd love that. <laughs> yep. He, um, he never did give me that second call that, that you're saying he was going to do. Uh, so he's ADHD. I'm pretty, you know, genetic, yeah. that whole yeah, pattern is yeah, sure, ADHD sure. and forgets until we talk about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, context clue. Like, he associates you with me now. And it's like, oh, hey, how is your friend, officer, you know, why? I haven't talked to him in a while. It's like, you called him and left a message once. Once. <laughs> it's really cute that he, he asks about you and wants to know. How I, I think it's very cute that he does, for sure. At least somebody does. At well, least. he asked about <laughs> you guys. He's like, yeah, so what's happening in, like, the social media cop world? I mean, he still has a flip phone. Or like a slide, like one of the little slider guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not a burner and it's not, you know. No, it's just his everyday phone. He just does not like technology and apps. And I know like with ADHD, if he had it, he'd never like yeah. stop. I was I was watching, we're, we're totally getting off the beaten path here and we're going to wrap yes. in just a second. But I was watching the Social Dilemma uh, yeah. part of it. And I was like, good God, it's real. I, I, you know, it just plays into ADHD so badly. Like that's the whole thing they're trying to do here. And as I look at my phone and I, it's demonized now, I just want to, I want your dad's flip phone. I do. I want that. Do it. Do it. If, I could, if, I, if I could find one, I would. My, my, my other thinking is to jumping back, tying it into Elf to make it relevant. I'm pretty convinced like Buddy has some signs. I mean, it could be the immaturity, but it also could be signs of like ADHD and just, you know, kind of how he talks and the jumping around to different things. Of course. Of like, course. Yeah. Um, like my favorite thing that I still use is like, so good news. I saw a dog today. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty ADHD. It's like, I don't get distracted by squirrels or shiny things. It's like, oh, dog, dog. Always dog. Always dog. Yeah. I, I've, I've been on, I actually made a meme out of it. The, you know, when you're on a call and there's a dog, that's like the happiest part of the day. Yeah. So. so that elf quote is very relevant. And also now being a professor where I kind of, and I guess with cops, you guys do, I guess, your uh, body cams get recorded of like things you say. And I know you can get in trouble depending on, you know, I'm not sure how, who and where you are. Yeah. And what rating, like if you drop the F bomb, like, is it accepted? Like whatever, that kind of thing. Um, But the, the, you know, son of a nutcracker, stuff like that. Um, You know, don't be a cottonheaded ninny muggins. Like (laughs) those are usable for college professors and cops. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I will, I will pay money to anybody that sends me body camera footage of them dropping one of those two things on a body cam. I will match you. I will match your payment. Okay. If, if I've got, I've got, I've got $5, big old. Okay. uh, So I'll add five and it'll be $10 if you drop it on a body cam. Big old, big old, but it's gotta be in context. You can't just drop it just to drop it. It's gotta be in context. You got $10 from the doc and I, and then uh, (laughs) just because that'd be amazing. If if everyone sends it, I will send $10 to everybody. Um, <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> the the yeah, tiny funds are pretty low these days. Salary, not right. at all. <laughs> oh my god. 
All right, Elizabeth, this was great. Um, this is, I don't know. I mean, this is something fun I'm trying this year. Who knows how it'll play out, how it'll be. But anyway, you're going to be back in the beginning of January, and we're going to be talking about stress. And topic. Yes, and we're going to be talking about how it affects the body and the brain and, and all this stuff, and can't get enough of it. So thank you so much for taking a few minutes and talking about Elf and a bunch of other things with me, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. It's great to talk to you guys, like always. And if I don't talk to you before then, have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You too. Bye. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. Baby, it's cold outside. The evening has been. Hoping that you drop in. So very nice. I'll hold your hands there just like I. Mother will start to worry. Father will be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace. So really, I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't Maybe just to have a drink more. Put some records on while I play. Neighbors might think. Maybe it's bad out there. Say what's in this drink? No caps to be had out there. Now I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight. To break a spell. I'll take your hat, your hair looks I ought to say no, no, no. Mind if I'm moving. At least I'm on that I tried and a special thanks to all of my guests today uh, Jeff Smith was the main guest and then we had Red Gun and Dr. Delery talking about Christmas movies and uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this whole Christmas movie part I think it's cool but I know you know when cops start de- uh, rating and debating movies no one really cares but I-, I think it's fun I think it's a fun little change up plus gets to hear some you get to hear some more voices on the episode besides mine and it's it's fun it's supposed to be fun enjoy it damn it come on people hit the dance floor have a good time why is no one having a good time I specifically requested it so that's gonna wrap up today's episode guys thank you so much the music today is it was stay as always, which I'm probably going to be changing that up soon. I just have to figure out what I'm going to put in its place. And then we had Enter Sandman. Then we had Chitty Bang's song, Mind Your Manners. And we're going to end it with an old, oldie but a goodie, uh, Fall Out Boy, You'll Shoot Your Eye Out. And then uh, next week, we have Chris Matakis. He is a writer, a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He is a uh, mindset coach. And he's a great guy, man. We talked, just wrapped it up, actually, and a great conversation. You guys are going to enjoy it. I mean, it's everything that I've kind of preached for however many episodes this is. And then, plus jujitsu, it's it's good, man. And we talk Christmas, and Christmas movies are, you know, important, and Christmas is going to be the day after its release, or Christmas Eve will. And also on Monday, we're, do, we're releasing the Jersey Boys Christmas Party episode, so I'm just giving, listen, this is the December of giving. You guys are getting so much 10-8 content this month. You're very welcome. Speaking of things I'm giving you, the store is up. Go ahead and uh, check it out, 10-8-memes.ecwid.com. The link is in my Instagram bio. Check it out. Uh, call us for next week. Call us, you know, if, uh, if you want to give a season's greeting to the Jersey Boys on the episode, do that. Either way, just contribute. I love it. Rate, review, subscribe, and most importantly, share the episode. That's the only way that this episode can continue to grow is by word of mouth, or this show can grow is by word of mouth, telling your people, hey, check out this episode. You might like it. Send them any of my episodes. Just let's get the listenership up just because I I feel like I have such an important message to give you guys. That's the only way I reach more people. 
So that concludes today's episode, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Take care of each other. Stay safe. We'll see you on Monday with the Jersey Boys, and I'll see you on Thursday with Chris Matakis. Until then, take care of each other. Stay safe. Sayonara, senorita. Bye. Your good years Don't take my advice You never wanted the nice Boys anyway And I'm of good cheer Cause I've been checking My list The gifts you're receiving from me Will be One awkward silence And two hopes You cry yourself to sleep Staying up, waiting by the phone And all I want Yes, for you to dedicate your last breath to me Before you bury yourself alive Don't come home for Christmas You're the last thing I want to see Underneath the tree Merry Christmas, I could care less It's the only thing I want this year One awkward silence and two hopes You cry yourself to sleep Staying up, waiting by the phone And all I want this year For you to dedicate your last breath to me Before you bury yourself alive Don't come home for Christmas You're the last thing I want to see Underneath the tree Merry Christmas I could care less Yeah.